0: Ah, uh, we got so much to talk about, I think uh yeah, we do, and I, here's one we we have we have well prepared notes which you help prepare, which I forgot to add the big hack follow up to, <laughs> which is bizarre <laughs> because it's my it's my baby.
1: I was gonna say this is your thing, like you had this like however like you have like a fifty word like <laughs> asterisk you have to attach to every Bloomberg story, and Bloomberg breaks a lot of news. <laughs> So this, do you have like a macro that you insert that in when you're blogging it?
0: Uh, It's not a macro per se, but I have it saved, obviously. I have to to rewrite it now. This is, it's, I'm I'm dreading the next time Bloomsburg (laughs) posts something link worthy because I have to write a new, I have to write a new footnote because they are not done. (laughs) This is the strangest thing. So I woke up the one day and everybody, you know, of course I'm inundated with texts that they've followed up and I'm like, wow. And I, you know, and, and I'm not uh, hung out to dry on this, right? Like I, right. I, I haven't said, I guarantee you that they're wrong. I, my point is it certainly looks like they're wrong. Everybody mm-hmm. says they're wrong. They've offered no proof. So they ought to retract it or prove it. And I thought maybe they've got it. Right. It's, right. You know, and it's the same two reporters. So, oh, and I start reading and it's like, uh, this doesn't look like anything. And it is. I described it as sophistic. Uh, so soph- I forget the word. Sof- sophistry horseshit. Uh, and it is because it creates the illusion of something there being there, and they're very deft at using official journalistic language and seemingly. Uh, well-credentialed sources, some of them on the record even, mm-hmm. none of whom with any firsthand knowledge of this. Well, of, that's the thing. It, it's crazy, in my opinion. It, it And it really, really seems like they have spun themselves out of, this is my take, that they've spun themselves out of control to avoid retracting the original story.
1: Yeah, I've been trying to figure this out, too, because when it first hit, you know, it was so damning. And I was like, okay, well, Bloomberg, because I know a lot of people who work there and they're, for the most part, impeccable journalists and are held to extremely high standards and have very good sourcing. And so I didn't really have many reasons to to doubt what was being reported. And then, you know, more like some some of those doubts started to creep in when every single company – like if one company denies something and if they do it in kind of a weaselly way, which is what companies usually do when they don't know exactly how exposed they may be, like they'll they'll deny it, but they'll there will be like wiggle room. The denials were pretty affirmative, right? Like there wasn't a lot of, of wiggle room to just be like, this hasn't happened. And that made my spidey sense go up a little bit first. And then seeing a lot of the security professionals kind of push back and be like, Are we sure does this make sense? You know, um, had, had some questioning, but in the back of my mind, I was still like, okay, but but Bloomberg has really, really good reporters, and you know they vet things really strongly, and like their you know standards for publishing, uh, based on my experience of people that I know they're and have talked to, are going to be higher than at a lot of other places. So, like you know, it's, it's, it's this bizarre thing, right? Is that there are these denials. There hasn't been a lot of conclusive proof. There are a lot of security professionals who are, you know, calling foul on it. And then this follow-up story comes up, which substantively, uh, you link to like a really good takedown thread um, from Own All the Things uh, that, you know, really kind of supply the fact that, yeah, there was a lot of kind of nothing in the follow-up.
0: Well, and it's so – uh, what's the name of the game whisper down the alley, you know, where somebody, you know, you have a bunch of kids lined up and you, yeah. like somebody, Telephone. Yeah. Telephone. And you'd, you know, somebody, you know, you write something down and you tell the first person and then they're supposed to whisper it down yep. you know, to the next person. And then the last person says what they're told and mm-hmm. it's inevitably different. Even if, you know, I always thought the thing about that when I was a kid was that there was always clear you can, and you knew which kid in your class was going to do it. it was somebody was totally. going to screw it up on purpose. Absolutely. And it's like, we're doing sociology here, you know, David, you jerk, you know, and because he, he'd have a smirk, you know, uh, you know, it's and it's like egg freckles. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> but it doesn't work, you know, and it's all, you know, but everybody, all these sources are saying like, you know, well, you know, in 2016, I got this scary briefing from the uh, FBI about a thing that they heard that might have happened with Supermicro. And it's like nobody is saying, "Yeah, I saw a chip on a super micro board."
1: Right, right. No, I mean the the one thing that does always kind of give me pause, though. Though, and, and this is why it's such an interesting kind of conundrum to me is that the one kind of thing I guess they could have in their favor, but they don't have the evidence uh, that happened in this case. But you know, you have Edward Snowden, and I think if a lot of us had heard the things that he was claiming, uh, a lot of people would have said that that was not. That was not happening, right? That, that right. It, it, seemed, it seemed like out of a Russian spy novel, right? Right. And it was. So...
0: We as a species are not good with stuff that we think isn't expected, right? I mean, did you expect to have a pandemic? And if you did, <laughs> I mean, no. and if you did, no. did you expect it to go this way, right? Like, that's one of the craziest things about the last 11 months is... We have had a global pandemic and it is nothing like anybody's science fiction about how a pandemic would go. You know, usually it, they either turn into zombies, <laughs> which right. is better for the drama, or it's like uh, Stephen King's The Stand and 95% or, ni- you know, plus, 95% plus of humanity gets killed. And there's right. only, you know, a handful of, you know, you're lucky if maybe, you know, one out of 20 people, you know, survives. Right. Um and this was nothing like that it was you know it just you just stay home you know but it it seemed like a this couldn't happen you know and it literally a year ago right now that mm-hmm. was sort of my thinking about it which was irrational um uh, no, that remember, was really my thinking yeah i was like well it won't happen here i remember i, I had a podcast with federico viticci and you know he was around this time i think it might have been a little bit later in february you know and italy got hit hard already yep. in, in february um and I don't think it's like, it's not some kind of, you know, America firstism that I think America's magic. It's just the way human nature works, where it's like, well, right. you know, these things happen, you know, in but they other, don't happen here. They don't happen here. And yeah, you, no, I mean, do you think that yeah. with, and that's what you think with Bloomberg?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, that's very true. I mean, I'm actually kind of looking. I, I, I was, it was a year ago today, I think, that I was flying back. Um, or I guess technically it would be tomorrow, but I was on an airplane at this point, that I was flying back from Australia uh, for what wound up be my last international trip of the year. And to I was originally supposed to go from Australia to Singapore for an event. And the Singapore event was canceled because they weren't doing events of a certain size. And, and that country was taking precautions really strictly. However, the airlines weren't canceling flights. So I to get home without incurring a ton of fees. I flew from Sydney to Singapore. Then I had like a a couple hour layover in the airport. And then I flew from Singapore to South Korea. Then I had like a six or seven hour layover where I got like a hotel room in the a pod or whatever in the airport. And then I flew from South Korea to Seattle. So I was I was in the air for like twenty seven hours. It was Kind of insane. And that was my last international trip of the year. And even though the Singapore stop of the event I was uh, presenting at was canceled, I still had, you know, scheduled things for Zurich and for uh, Israel and uh, I think some other places and was expecting that to go forward. Like, was not anticipating that, oh, yeah, the world is going to change and it's going to come here. Like no concept
0: no seems unrelated but i mean that is sort of how you think about a, a publication like bloomberg you know I yeah mean, and it's, it's true you know and uh it, it's it's the burden and the benefit of the bureaucracy of something that's an institution and you know it's not like reporters for bloomberg get to just type into the cms and hit publish and no. it pops up um you know, I remember thinking, I remember being uh, 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 not, not opposed to, but thinking it wasn't going to happen that Apple would switch from PowerPC to Intel back mm-hmm. back in 2005. And then the rumors picked up a little bit, but it wasn't, like, this year where it was, like, oh, months in advance, everybody knew it was going to happen. Right. But then, like, the weekend before WWDC, the Wall Street Journal published a story that said Apple's going to announce that they're switching the Mac to Intel, and... I had to square those two things in my head that i didn 't think it was going to happen for various reasons, including the fact that I thought you know one of the things that I thought went unsaid at the time was, Well, wait, if they port the Mac to standard x86 hardware then what you know wouldn't that make what we now call hackintoshes just run rampant wouldn't it mm-hmm. you know wouldn't that be sort of like the clone days again except without even without the clone licensing fees right. But I had to square my thinking, my reasons X, Y, and Z for thinking Apple wouldn't do it, with the fact that the Wall Street Journal said, "Oh, yeah, it's happening." And right. I, I came to the conclusion that, well, if the Journal says it's happening, it's happening. Let's see, you know, let's wait till Monday in the keynote and see why. Um, right, which was
1: which, which was just the correct thing because, like, you know, I mean, the, and and I think for a lot of people like that, I wasn't doing um, uh, what you were doing back in in two thousand. What was it? Two thousand five. Um, I think I was still in in college, but I was, I was watching those things, but I would have made the same assessment that you did. I would have been like, okay, if the Wall Street Journal is saying this, then, then this is true. Right. Because that typically is, especially with Apple, like now Apple, the leaks tend to happen months in advance, but you know, they were much more closely held then. But if you had like a really big outlet, like a really well-placed place, like the journal, then you'd be like, okay my, my bet is going to be that this is happening because they're not going to risk their reputation on being wrong about something like this. And I mean, I think that that is part of like, with the super micro story, you know, part of me is like, would Bloomberg risk their reputation for being wrong? And I mean, clearly, clearly they are clearly they, they think that they've got it, but I'm not convinced. You're not convinced. A lot of other people aren't convinced.
0: There's a, there's a couple of ways you know I mean number one you never bet the house on any one report anybody could right. be wrong right I mean the most famous example I would say would be Judith Miller's reporting oh, for the New York yes. Times on the Iraq 100%. war where she said you know and and again there's always the well how how does this news reporter say they know what they say they know and the Wall Street Journal it, it, with the power PC story said. According to sources source familiar source with close them, to the matter. Yeah, yeah you know.
1: Sources familiar with the matter. Yeah. But
0: somebody at Apple who knew about it blabbed to the Wall Street Journal, whether yep. deliberately or not, but the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal trusted that person enough to say, this is this is good, let's go with it. Right. And, you know, Judith Miller, back in the run up to the Iraq war, quoted somebody in the nat- U.S. national security oper- apparatus mm-hmm. who said, We know that Iraq has weapons of mass tr- destruction. We know it. Yeah. It's yep. a done deal. We're going to go in and get them. Uh, And it turned out, well, guess what? They didn't. (laughs) And the New York Times still to this day, I don't think for for a generation, won't recover. There's a lot of people who will never, never. No,
1: I mean, it was that and Jason Blair happened at the same time or around the same time. It was kind of that one-two punch. The the
0: Blair? Yeah. Blair being a fabulous is a little bit of a different thing, right?
1: Oh, I agree. I think it was just the two happening completing yeah. complaining together, yeah. I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah, that is true because they were so close in proximity where it's like, yeah, you can't trust the thing. And there's so many people who wanted to say for years you can't trust anything in the New York Times
1: exactly. period. And And then, you know, it was her who, you know, I, I don't even know. She, was she an opinion columnist at that point? I'm not sure. No, she was she a news reporter. A um, but she she changed beats a lot, but it was one of those things where she was not well respected. I read this book. I think it was called page one up. i'm gonna I'm gonna find it, but I, I read this book that was written about what happened at The New York Times in the midst of those scandals. It's really interesting. And um, you know, she had lost a lot of favor in the newsroom, mm. but she had these impeccable sources, which we now know to be, you know, people like Scooter Libby and mm. um uh, Robert novak and and other people that like were, reputable sources. If somebody like that is telling you these things, I can understand even for someone like her, who my only interaction with her was I was in the green room with her at a a cable network once and she didn't know how to use copy and paste on her iPhone.
0: Really? Oh no, this is a great story.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I had to show her how to use copy and paste on her iPhone. And this was like 2014. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that to me says kind of everything you need to know. Um, but, uh, but like, um, you know, she, she lost a lot of favor in the newsroom, but, but she had those sources and, and they didn't have the proper checks. And like, they went through a really big kind of reckoning, you know, like Howard Raines is like rain, you know, as, as editor kind of came to an end. Like they, they had to go through a pretty massive reckoning over that. And I think you're right. I think they. I don't know if they I don't know if I would argue they haven't recovered. I think that there's a certain generation of people who don't even remember that happening, you know. Right. But I do think it tainted them in a way that even if people don't remember that happening, probably are impacted by that without even realizing it, right? So like mm-hmm. if you look at like journalism students today and and younger news readers today who were children and don't remember that, the Lasting impact of what that did to the Times' his reputation carries through, and and so they might not even. It's like the the Devil Wears Prada scene where, uh, you know, Miranda is is telling Andy that you know the sweater that she's wearing was was you know that she thought was was made with no you know decision whatsoever it was like made was a decision that was predetermined for her by everyone in that room. I feel like it might be that sort of thing where uh, younger news readers don't even understand why they might have a certain perception but it does go back to that i think you're probably right but i mean i think they've they've recovered a lot but it certainly was like an incredibly painful time for for the yeah. times
0: the the question always is if the only source is an unnamed source or even just a named source but it's you have to take the source's name for it where where do you draw the line on the magnitude of the Allegation, whatever you want to call it, you know what they're saying. With do we need more sources to say the same thing? And where, when do you need to see the actual proof? Right now, I I know we're mixing some big stories here, but it wasn't practical for the New York Times to expect to get their eyes on the actual weapons of mass destruction in Iraq before the war. Right, that right, literally wasn't possible. With the super micro story, it is not – it wasn't ridiculous to think, given the accusations of the original 2018 story, that they would want to see one of these uh, uh, compromised motherboards with a chip. Or at least talk to a source who would say, yes, I saw one of the board's with one of these chips and identified that one of these chips was doing this. And they had right. neither. They didn't even have a firsthand source, let alone physical proof. And and one of the things that always stuck out to me as like, okay, we'll see where this goes and I, that I can't believe that here we are two and a half years later and still mm-hmm. doing it is that even one of the two reporters on this story, Michael Riley tweeted, like, a day or two after the original story broke, he tweeted, that's the unique thing about this attack. Although the details have been very tightly held, there is physical evidence out there in the world. Now that the details are out, it will be hard to keep more from emerging.
1: And yet no one's been able to follow up. Right, which— it's, that, to me, is the biggest thing. Right. It, it's not even so much anything else. It, it's, it's the fact that there hasn't been any follow-up. Uh, just for, for any listeners who might be interested, the, the book I was talking about is called Hard News, The Scandals at the New York Times and the Future of American Media, and it's by Seth Mnookin. Um, it's a good read. But, yeah, I think the fact there was no follow-up – because the thing is, I would expect, like, for something like this – even if they got some of the details wrong, which I would expect, I wouldn't expect everything to be completely correct. But if if parts of it were correct, I would expect that every major investigative publication on the planet would immediately be putting their own resources into trying to vet this out more. And there hasn't been anything.
0: Right, like you don't have to. It, uh, you don't have to know how news organizations work to be a savvy or, or maybe to be a savvy news reader you do but to be a well read up uh, you know mm-hmm. n- news reader you don't have to know how movies are really made uh to enjoy movies right but when something interesting happens, it's it's good to know how it happens, and it can help explain why you're reading what you're reading. And one of the mm-hmm. things that happens in the news industry is when somebody comes out with a scoop, competing news agencies, A, are pissed because yep. everybody loves the scoops.
1: They love and, it. And they're like, why didn't I get this? Your editor right. is literally yelling right. at you, and he is saying to you, why, why do they have this and why don't we?
0: Right. And and if they know who the source is, even if it's an unnamed source, and a lot of mm-hmm. times they do because, you know, they're juiced in too, they call the Absolutely. source and they're like and they're pissed. And they're like, Why didn't mm-hmm. you tell tell me this? But then the, the immediate thing they do is they jump on the story too, to follow it up, and they have to put the the as originally reported by the Washington Post or as originally yep. reported by whoever. But then what they want to do is add to it. Right. So that the New York, you know, the Washington Post comes out with a big scoop about X. Mm-hmm. The New York Times is mad. They come out with their follow up. They have to acknowledge that the first reported in the Washington Post, That's like a, they don't have to like legally, they have to as a, a, a convention. But then what they want to do is add original reporting to the story and build on it. And I, I know firsthand, I've spoken to people at news organizations who who worked on this story. Like, it is true. I know firsthand. I don't, I don't know everybody who worked on it. But I know that uh, other major news publications put reporters on this story because it was so spectacular. Yes. No, and- I
1: know that too. I know that too.
0: Yeah. Nobody found anything. And it is the allegations of the original story, which re- literally involved the surreptitious adding of chips to motherboards and super micro server components, uh, literally would have left behind physical evidence that couldn't be erased, as opposed to – and this is sort of where they're sort of walking it back. And and in some ways, this follow-up story last week is a broader allegation about the length of time and the degree to which Supermicro servers might have been, allegedly were compromised by government hackers from the China. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also seems to be was definitely walking back the adding of chips and making more sort of hand-wavy motions about firmware, which, A, it is a lot... Uh, harder to prove,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and because you can also, you know, a clever piece of firmware could do its surreptitious business and then overwrite its naughty it, right. bits.
1: Yeah, no, I mean we, we we've seen that with solar ones, right? right. Like the solar hack is actually quite incredible in what it was doing, uh, and and it was a very difficult thing to uncover because it was purposely not attacking a lot of the, um, you know, it was targeting the the solar wind systems. And then those were changing the way certain updates were issued to the other systems. Like, but, but it, you know, it was a very difficult thing to kind of unravel because of how it was done, right? So, yeah. Sorry, go on.
0: Yeah, well, as a very casual person, you can just kind of see how a software attack is both easier to implement and install and easier to hide right the the part of the blockbuster nature of the original 2018 uh bloomberg report the big hack was that it was hardware and and that the evidence would be out there and they weren't saying like oh they got like three of these chips on three motherboards and one went to apple and one went to this company that was acquired by amazon and one went somewhere else they said that there were like thousands of them and nobody found any of them which really really i mean at this point it seems absolutely unbelievable that that it actually happened and
1: yeah. Yeah. It's just, well, I mean, the, to me, the thing was actually, it was interesting that they did actually kind of use the solar winds, uh, hack, which is real and has been verified to kind of bolster this, a uh, kind of updated and sort of, you know, changed claim that, that this was BIOS code that was updated. And yeah, you know what, that does seem a lot more plausible. Um, but it's, to me, some of it does feel undercut by the nature of what the earlier reporting was, which I think is a bad thing because if this did happen, then that's a problem for everyone, right? Like that's that's I I, I don't want this to be one of the situations where we ignore, you know, potential reporting that that there's been, you know, uh, malicious activity because the reporting on it was imperfect. But at the same time, the reporting is imperfect and doesn't seem to really go a long way to kind of explain itself or, or make a strong enough case for itself whether it's because there are no like on the record sources or because you know the people who are on the record like don't have direct access or knowledge to things yeah there there's there's a lot of holes.
0: I mean, and it just and very specific allegations about Apple and Amazon in particular. Yeah, which again, like you said, the, the two companies denied in no uncertain terms. I mean, a there very no weasel words, right? Very unusual statements. And I know there are so many people, not 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 a majority, but I know there's a a, a number of people who just disbelieve anything that comes out of official corporate comms if it's to cover, you know, to deny a negative mm-hmm. story. And that's fine to be skeptical like that but you have to acknowledge that it was not the typical weasel words that no that company you know there was no cover your ass aspect to it
1: No which to me was the first red flag when they were like Unequivocal in the denial, and there weren't those weasel words. That was when I went, okay, because you know the lawyers have to go over every single line of that. And you're talking about two companies that have, you know, at that point, they were closing in on a trillion-dollar market share. Now, they're both, you know, uh, Amazon's a trillion and a half, and, and Apple's a $2 trillion company. These are companies that... You know, if you were to be caught misleading and lying in any of your official communications, this way it would have massive, massive consequences. Like you want to talk about, like not just fines, but regulation, and all kinds of other things. Like this is not something that I could ever see the lawyers signing off on if they didn't have full faith that what they were saying was accurate.
0: Yeah, um, I was. I read an interesting piece this week. Oh, uh, I mean, just about everything she writes is interesting, but Zainab. Tufekci, um, wrote, uh, she has a Substack, and she was writing about critical thinking and how to, um, uh, like her upbringing in an authoritarian regime, she feels prepared her a lot better for the last year, both in terms of like, oh, okay, this is going to be bad. We should stock up on X, Y, and Z long before everybody else made a run on the toilet paper and stuff, but also sort of seeing through, um, uh, this sort of authoritarian slanted aspects of the Trump administration. And one of the points, just a small point she raised on the critical thinking was when Trump got COVID and she said, Oh, he's way sicker than they're saying he is. And she, you know, she was like, Oh, of course. And, and she was like, uh, she linked to a tweet where somebody was, when his doctors gave a, a press conference outdoors and they asked, uh, was Trump's oxygen level ever below ninety? This is mm-hmm. the uh, blood oxygen level that your uh, Apple Watch can, in fact, read now. And and basically, just as as a baseline, if you should be above ninety five, anything I think ninety three and below, if you have COVID, is considered a problem. And eighties is anything in the eighties is bad. Um, so the press asked his doctor, was Trump's oxygen ever below 90? And his doctor said, we don't have any recordings here of that. But was it ever below 90 here or at the White House? And his doctor said, no, it was below 94%. It wasn't down in the low 80s or anything. And she read into, she was like, now I read this and I know how to read this. So when he's, you know, the operative words were his first answer when he said, we don't have any recordings here of that. That means that when he was here, I think this was outside the hospital. They don't, they just don't have recordings of it, but it did drop below 90. If <laughs> And when he said it was uh, below 94, but it wasn't down in the low 80s, that means it was definitely in the 80s. It just wasn't like 81.
2: Right. And
0: lo and behold, a week ago, it turned out Trump was a lot sicker than they let on when he had it. And and there's sources who told the New York Times that, yeah, his blood oxygen was like eight down to like 87. And that's when they panicked and took him to the hospital. And it's that that's weasel words, right? Right. And that's exactly what Amazon and Apple did not do when this came out. And they weren't blindsided. That's the other thing, too. When the original Bloomberg Big Hack story came out, it wasn't like they dropped the story on Amazon and Apple and knee-jerk reaction, does anybody know about this? Nope, nope. Okay, let's just deny it. They Bloomberg had contacted them in advance. Both companies, like, and I know I talked to people off the record at Apple who were like, "Oh no, we did like we spent a ton of money and pulled people off real work, and tore server place you know farm, farms apart looking at this. We found nothing for weeks." And and, and it, the other thing too, these weren't Apple products, right? It's not like Apple had uh, was saying that like millions of Mac Pros or Mac Minis weren't compromised. These were just internal to Apple servers from this super micro company. And their denial just wasn't like that at all. There was nothing to read between the lines.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and, I don't know the thing, and I, I wonder what your thought is on this. I don't know much about either, you know, of the reporters on the story. I think one of them is a cybersecurity uh, reporter, and I'm not sure what the uh, other uh, person's focus area is. Um, it, it seems like that's what he's gone into, but uh, it seems like uh, you know they seem more policy, more like like you know, wonk kind of you know DC kind of focused people. Yeah, and I wonder. You know, this is a, a similar thing in some cases to, to the Judy Miller thing. Now, that was sloppy, and that shouldn't have been published. And they should have had better vetting. There's a lot of layers to that, but you know, they some of it couldn't come down to when you're an editor if you don't know your subject matter and you trust your author to know it and and to get some of those details. I wonder if this is one of those cases where these are people who know a lot about government and have a lot of contacts within government but don't necessarily know enough about, like, actual security and about tech.
0: I think that's exactly—I mean, because their sources are all national security officials, you know, quote-unquote. Right. You know, one guy, they make a big deal. He was a former Navy SEAL, which, again, being a Navy SEAL is very prestigious, very difficult. Upper echelon of the armed forces doesn't necessarily make you an expert on— you know, Chinese supply chain espionage.
1: Right, right. I mean, and I think that is it's also worth noting, like there is a difference between cybersecurity and national security, right? right. Like they're both security, but they're, they're different ways. And so that's the only thing, only way I can kind of try to kind of parse this in my mind is to see, okay, maybe the reporters really do believe what they're reporting and really do think the data says what it says, but they don't have the subject matter expertise and aren't talking to the subject matter experts enough to really be able to ascertain is this possible? Did this happen? Is this likely? Because they're coming at it from a different perspective and from a, a different place.
0: Yeah, I, th- I yeah, I, that's what I think happened. And I also think that, uh, well, why would they go so long without just retracting it? You know, and, and A, I think it, it's just anathema to them that they could have gotten something so wrong. And B, I think. Very cynically, they've looked at what this this stinky pile of crap they were held left holding that was never backed up by any evidence, never backed up by anybody else's reporting, and looked at it, and it's all sort of well, you can't prove a negative, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I say guess what, Christina? There's an invisible man who's standing behind you, and he's been there your entire life, and you can't see him because he's composed of dark matter. I mean, it's, you know, probably I'm crazy, but you can't prove it, right? You can't prove that there isn't an invisible man from another dimension made of dark matter who's followed you around everywhere you go for your, you know, it's, you can't prove that there aren't, just because we haven't found the servers that Apple has that have these surreptitious microchips in them, uh, you can't prove that they don't exist. You know, And I think that's what they're hanging their hat on with their refusal to retract. Here's what I wrote back when the original report came out, and I feel like it really stands up. I see no way around it. Either Bloomberg's report is significantly wrong, at least as it pertains to Amazon and Apple, or Apple and Amazon have issued blatantly false denials. You can perhaps chalk up Apple's denial to it being written by Apple PR. I don't think this would happen, but hypothetically, this issue could be deemed so sensitive either within the company or as a national security issue that the people at Apple with knowledge of the situation lied to Apple PR and then Apple PR issued a false statement. But in my experience, Apple PR does not lie. Uh, Do they spin the truth in ways that favor the company? Of course, that's their job, but they don't lie because they understand that one of Apple's key assets is its credibility. There's nothing... They'd say nothing before they'd lie, right? That's the Mm -hmm. thing that they could have done is just said, we have no comment on this. Absolutely. Um, But Apple's CIO signing his name and writing his statement on Amazon's thing, that's Schmidt, signing his name to Amazon's report is more telling. Presumably no one at Apple or at Amazon would be more familiar with the details of this breach than Schmidt. And he vouched for it personally. Um, Anyway, I I can't help but think that you're onto something too, that – that they've sort Bloomberg's been, Bloomberg has been sort of waiting to sort of, yeah, let's just push this vague thing out there to make it seem like we were on to, because that's a weird thing about this follow-up. They're like, uh, they acknowledge the old story, but they didn't acknowledge that they're the same two reporters who wrote it, and they didn't acknowledge that nobody else ever proved it, you know, with Amazon and Apple. They just said, oh, yeah, and by the way, two years ago, we we said Amazon and Apple were affected by this. But it turns out we were on to a bigger story or something like that. Right. And it's like, it sounds like, oh, this is incredible. And then you read it and there's like even less less details. Yeah. Now I got to write a new footnote. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me thank our first sponsor. It is a new sponsor. Flatfile. Nearly everyone has dealt with formatting CSV or Excel files so that the data can be correctly imported into your application. It's a pain. Companies of all sizes spend an exorbitant amount trying to fix this problem. Typical solutions include using CSV templates, emailing Excel files back and forth, or hiring expensive implementation teams to do it for you. Our friends at Flatfile are working on concierge which is their service that offers no-code collaborative workspaces for onboarding structured data. Invite customers to securely import format or merge data from spreadsheets. No fumbling around with FTP uploads. No emailing sensitive Excel files back and forth. No formatting yet another custom CSV template just for this data. Flat file is on a mission to help companies spend less time formatting spreadsheet data to import into applications and more time using it. Curious how they can help your business? Visit them at flatfile, F-L-A-T-F-I-L-E dot I-O. That's flatfile.io for all of your data importing needs. Do you want to stick with the news for now before we get into more analysis? The... uh, the Apple car thing, maybe. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the Apple car. There's a lot
0: of news on that.
1: There is a lot of news on that. And I'm finally at the point where, you know, I knew that they were working on the project. It seemed like they had stopped for a while. It does now seem like it is very much back up and running again. <laughs> uh, forgive the puns. I liked um, I liked your piece on, on what the, the Volkswagen CEO said, especially because we've talked before about your love <laughs> of uh, going after Ed Colligan. But I'm curious from your perspective, um, you know, and basically the, the news is that he kind of said that he came out and he's, he's not concerned um, with, with any of their plans. There's also been rumors that they yeah. might be doing something. Hyundai, with, IKEA. It, Hyundai. I
0: did not realize that they, yeah. they're not quite the same company, but there's like Hyundai owns a big portion of IKEA or vice versa. But anyway, in your home state of Georgia.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, although, yeah, I guess that they... I think I remember now that they built plants there or whatever, but cool. This is the one thing that I don't get about the Apple car. And, and I think at this point it's clear that they're, they're doing something, an automotive. Um, there are too many leaks and, and there's too many reports on this. I tend to agree with your analysis on the Volkswagen CEO. You know, He's not dismissing them, but he's also, I think it's fair for him to be skeptical. I don't, I don't know why Apple wants to be in this space. That's what I That's can't figure out. That's a good question,
0: and I've thought about that from the origins of the rumor. Um, one thing I remember, and again, you know, put a grain of salt in it, because again, this is like whisper down the alley, this is like third hand. But from like their first run through of this Project Titan, where they built it up and sort of specked out a car that they might have, could have maybe gone to market with— the story i've heard is that the price tag it was something like $170,000 <laughs> like like it's like the starting price and that's where like tim cook was like all right well we need we need to reset this let's get you know bob mansfield in there and and there was a lot of uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: high level shuffling of of priorities and they sort of reset and focused on the supposedly uh, the core of the project for now on well let's just get the autonomous stuff down and we'll rethink the car part and you can't go wrong in general you can't go wrong thinking that okay the apple apple's going to make a blank uh they're going to make a digital watch how much is it going to cost well, however much you think most digital fitness watches cost, Apple's is going to cost more. You can't go wrong, right? So if they make a car, it's probably going to be expensive compared to right, a right. regular, you know, average car. Sure. $170,000? No, that's that's, that's a lot of money.
1: And that Well, that's like when you sell a $10,000 digital watch
0: which no, didn't that was which really didn't bad. work. So and well. nobody by the way, just let me say this, nobody should quote me on that $170,000 thing. I that's not even what I heard. I don't know. Whatever the number was, it was really high, but don't even quote me that it was 170,000. But it was some kind of, you know, back of the envelope math and it was a six-figure number. Um uh, yeah, but well, put aside the addition models, right? Just forget that that's a wholly separate discussion. I, I think <laughs> Although it is, in my opinion, sort of embarrassing. I, I just wrote about it recently.
1: Oh, I think it's completely embarrassing. It's, I think it's one of their biggest failures ever. I, I've, I have said this, though. I think that one of the smartest and best decisions, like, strings that Apple has had is when they pivoted the watch from fashion to fitness. When they made yeah. that, that pivot in that second year, that saved the watch and made it into the massive success that it is now. But the first year, it was all about fashion And that was not the right way to go. Well,
0: and they had they had the fitness there, right? Because they had they and they really emphasized at the beginning that they had three. And I think we can tie this in with the car, but they had three. They were very clear that they had three models: the sport, the no name stainless steel one, and the edition, right? And I remember arguing with people and I you know I'm not saying this just to pick up my being right points but uh mm-hmm. there were people who were arguing that the sport ones would cost more than the no name ones they're like oh the no name one means it's the cheapest and the sport one and it's like no I mean how how in the world would the aluminum one cost more exactly than-? and right. they're like yeah it's ion glass dude and it's like, no, that's just a fancy way of saying it's glass. The other one's made of sapphire. Sapphire is better than glass. Ion glass is just glass. You know, they're, they just put a word in front of glass. You know, it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then I remember too, telling people I wrote, I even wrote a thing. I was like, the, the, the gold ones are going to cost like $10,000 and people are like, you're out of your mind. They're going to.
1: No, I, I remember yeah. that. I remember you you being right on that. and You were dead on. And and it was but it was insane. Like I was
0: low if anything because they went up to like 18,500.
1: Yeah. No, it was insane. Um and it was completely I think if that was Apple I, I think oftentimes is is considered like a Hooper stick company and I don't think that's true. That, I do think, was like P. Cooperus, yeah. to think that you could sell an $18,000 watch. It had
0: to be Johnny. I mean, and I I, I Oh, hate,
1: totally. 100%. I hate
0: to do that. I hate to throw somebody under the rug who's not even there anymore. But, I mean, it had to be Johnny. I mean, it, it doesn't make of any sense it that it was anybody else. And...
1: No, of course it was Johnny because he's a watch right. guy and he'd already done things like he was making those art installation, uh, you know, pieces with uh, Mark, his his right. buddy, um, whose name I can't think of, uh, last name I can't think of. Like they were already doing those sorts of really, really like high-end, one-off kinds of things. They were already doing that kind of design work. So, yeah, that was a completely Johnny thing, I have to think. and I, I But I also do think it was a little bit of kind of an Apple on top of the world thing, thinking, yeah, we can sell $10,000 watches. That will be unable to get a software update in two years. I I, I do think it's an embarrassment. I do think it's uh, you know it, even if even if Apple wants to spin it now and be like oh we only claim to make a handful. No, you productized it. Like you you made it a part of of your promotional thing. Like you had an assembly line for it, even if you didn't assemble a lot of them. Like you you made this askew. This was not a a thing that you made just a couple of variants of for very special. Um, people. Like this was something that was actually, you know, you had to get an appointment and, and you had it in stores, like this was a real thing. And, and it, I was completely out of touch with reality, in my opinion.
0: It stands out to me because in my opinion, it's a fundamentally dishonest project product. Mm-hmm. Because if you buy a ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar or more. I mean, you know, watches cost a lot, but if you buy a thirty thousand dollar Rolex or a paddock, it is likely going to go up in value. I mean, especially in recent years, like the the you know, the high-end fine watch market is skyrocketing. And you can't it's hard to get your hands on a lot of the most popular stainless steel watches from Rolex and Patek and other companies. Um, and you buy it now, you spend $10,000, you get a Rolex 10 years from now, it's probably gone up in value. Right. But at the very least, it is still just as good a watch as it was 10 years before.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. It's going to last forever. Like my, my parents both have at this point, you know, 20 something year old Rolexes that were very expensive then. And I think my mom even got like the, the face of hers, you know, redone or or whatever, but they still work exactly as they did. They're in fantastic shape, and and as you said, it you know, um, my mom's wife might have even have gone up in value. You know, yeah. like it's yeah. just, it's one of those things.
0: Yeah, you do you have to if you wear it regularly. You do need to get it serviced some number yes. of years. But but Ro, an official Rolex, the place where you bought it, if you buy it from an official. A retailer, they'll take gold care of you. I mean, oh, they'll they come do, in, and yeah. if there's damage to it, if if there's chips on the glass, you know, on the sapphire or whatever, they'll they'll ask you, do you want it replaced or do you want to keep it? Because some people want to keep the original, even if it's damaged. You know, they'll they'll they won't touch it without your permission. But if you do want, you know, they'll they'll replace parts, and it'll work. You know, and you can hand it down to the next generation, and that's what you get at a ten thousand, twenty thousand dollar watch level. The yes. Apple Watch like you said literally within 2 years it wouldn't literally
1: even within 2 years it, it was it was completely useless. Right.
0: And the first generation Apple Watch the aka series 0 was kind of crappy technically too. Mm-hmm. It was um, very much
1: like the first iPad, right? Not enough RAM, like a little bit slow processor, like just it, was, I would it was say, the MVP.
0: I would say it was the worst first-generation product. I would say even the original iPad was a little better.
1: Oh, I, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I, I just meant in terms of like yeah. the, the, of the, the right. guts. No, I, th- right. I think the iPad was, a much, was actually a fantastic first-generation product. Um, I th- but, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it was probably the worst first-generation product.
0: I think it's the first one and the only one that really comes to mind where they do a great job that they're, they're obviously a company of perfectionists and there's a part of them. Everybody who works at Apple who would love to just go away for 20 years to work on something and then come out with it, but you can't, you have to ship and they're very, very good at shipping. So you kind of have to ship a little too early because if Mm -hmm. you don't, if you don't purposefully ship a little too early, you're going to ship a little too late and that's very dangerous. I think that Apple Watch is the one where they shipped at least a year too early. And I think, you know, you can't blame them because there was this, you know, it was the first product post-Steve Jobs. The company was withering yeah. under uh, Wall Street speculation that they'd never have another product after Steve Jobs. And so you can't blame them for maybe... And it, maybe, and it had
1: been leaked so much, right? Like yeah. at that point, too, it had been leaked so much. And it was too early. It was, I I'd, I'd felt that, too. I felt like they didn't have the the apps... Ready. They didn't have the SDK ready. They didn't have that story done. And, and they did like in the, like it was released in March and then it came out in the fall and, and March seemed late. Like it seemed to me like they had wanted to release it the previous fall and it, it just wasn't even there. And it took until, you know, the following fall for it really to be viable. Um, and yeah, it, it was too early.
0: Yeah, uh, so the series one or or series two, I guess, right? Because yep. series series one was the sort of
1: retcon. Right, like right. Yeah, like they 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 took the guts the other one, but but yeah. gave it a, a better processor, so right. you Be- could actually upgrade it, right. right? The
0: series zero was so bad that they wouldn't even do the typical Tim Cook era thing of selling the year old version at a lower right. price, right? It was oh, no so exactly slow.
1: which 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 for me as someone who spent eight hundred and fifty dollars on <laughs> right. a watch. I was pretty angry. Like I didn't get another one until a series three. Right. Like I, I sat it out. I was like, no, yeah. you're not getting my money. But if, because I'm like mad.
0: If you spent four hundred to eight hundred nine hundred dollars, I, I think they went. I think eleven $1, hundred dollars got you the stainless steel one with the um, the steel link bracelet.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Uh,
0: which I bought. Uh, we and my link bracelet from my original series zero is still in impeccable, no scratches because mm-hmm. I got the DLC coating, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> So they were, you know, it was proof that they could do a lot of the things with watches really, really good. The thing that yeah. wasn't very good was the computer inside. And, and I remember, and, and so you spent, you know, 400 to to $1,000 Well, you got what you paid for. You were an early adopter. You bought the first one. If you spent $15,000 on the gold one, you got ripped off.
1: 100%. Like, I would be, even if I had that much money, I would be pissed, I think, honestly. <laughs> There'd be no way that I couldn't be.
0: Right, and I know that there were a lot of people when it when it when I said it's going to cost like five to ten thousand dollars for gold because that's just what all gold fine gold, gold watch watches cost yeah. people are like you're nuts, it's going to be outdated, and I'm like i it might be outdated i I didn't tell them to make a gold watch I'm telling you what good gold watches cost. Uh, and then when the prices did come out and I was right, people wrote to me and they're like, hey, good call. I'll bet what they're going to do is when you buy an edition watch, when they come out with new ones, you'll be able to take it to the Apple store and turn your Series 0 into a Series 2. And then two years later, you could turn it into a Series 3 and you know, drop it off and right. you know, three days later, pick it up and it'll have new guts. And I was like, uh, no, t- t- computers don't work like that.
1: Right. Right. No, they don't. And and companies have tried like like and every time they've tried to do those upgrade things like Samsung tried with their TVs and whatnot like they usually abandon it after a couple of years. It's just not a way that you can really unfortunately make modern electronics
0: right. It just doesn't work. The tolerances are too small. So uh, yeah, that's I would just call it fundamentally dishonest. You know and and everything they've done since to me has corrected it. Even the ones I that agree. they call addition, like the titanium one, which yeah. uh, I bought a couple years ago for the Series Five and which I love. The uh, ceramic ones that they came out with, which I think
1: were like—I
0: forget how much they cost. They
1: were like a thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, maybe fifteen hundred, something like that. Reasonable as an upper bound for. And the other thing too is, once they, especially once they got to Series Three, that the technology of them was good enough that you could, you could, they last for years. You know, you yeah. could use it for three, four, five years. Which again does not compare. a mechanical watch. but No,
1: but but it makes you feel, I mean, but it puts it in line with like a smartphone or an iPad or something else. Like you feel like you're still getting value out of it. Like um, I get a a fitness credit um, that's now been expanded to some other things, but I get like a fitness credit every year through work. And I've used it to buy a new stainless steel Apple watch every year that I've been at Microsoft. And... I haven't needed to actually upgrade but I've just done it anyway and then given my old one to to a friend or 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 whatever. Um I'm probably not going to do that for the series 6. Uh I I probably should have just kept the series 5 to be honest, but I needed to it's free money I needed to use it. And um this year I'm able to use the money for different things so I'm more than likely doing that. But um I feel like I could probably still be using. My, you know, they were still. I think until recently, they might even still be selling the Series Three, right? Like,
0: yeah, I think they um, are. Yeah, that's uh, what, that's their low end price right now,
1: right? So, so that is to me, and they make that super affordable. So to me, like that is actually okay. You buy this, and you're getting, you know, um, four years out of it or so. Like that's that's pretty good, uh, especially if you're not spending. If, if you're spending, you know, three hundred and fifty dollars for it or something like that, and you wear it every day, and it's this thing that's more than just your watch, but it's this this health device too, that is really indispensable for a lot of people. I feel like the value point is there because Fitbits and things like that, which aren't that much less expensive when you get into the higher end um it, it, especially if you look at like the starting price of the lowest end Apple watches, people have the same things where after a few years they need to get another one yeah. so I, I think that's completely fine yeah. it's just you know, and if you are that person who's spending stuff on the Airmaz uh, you know, um, band or wanting to get one of the, um, you know, ceramic or the titanium ones or whatever the case may be. Like you go into that knowing, okay, this is not a forever thing, but I'm paying a premium because I like this styling or I want this type of band.
0: Fine. Yeah. yeah uh, right now, I just looked The series three is the one that starts at 199 and I right. think you add 30 bucks to get the the bigger size. Um And, you know, clearly it sticks out a little bit because the Series 4 is when they went to the slightly different form factor. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious what they're going to do come September. They'll come out with Series 7, the Series 3 goes away, and the uh, Apple Watch SE becomes Mm -hmm. that low-end model. That's what SE means in Apple parlance. It means a low-end price based on, like, two-year-old technology or 18-month-old technology. And it sticks around for two to three years at that low end price right like the, the the phone that they call the iPhone SE right now the iPhone SE2 that's going to be here for years yeah because the, the other SE was here for years
1: it was here for years and i right. mean it was yeah you and you know people are still sad that that form factor went away actually yeah um so yeah no i think that now actually they are in a good place pricing wise but originally yeah it was it was a failure but kind of going back to the car <laughs> i mean i guess well done mis- well done <laughs> I guess this is sort of like my question that was like, you know, you you could understand like the rumors were there around like watches and you could see that there was a lot of tech happening in the wearable space and it makes sense for Apple to be there. And I guess there is a ton of tech happening in the self-driving space, but I still have a hard time, especially if we're talking about a potentially six figure plus like starting price, like, okay, Tesla does most of their cars, once you get all in, are going to be around that. The same thing is, is going to be true for, you know, uh, Mercedes or BMW, but those aren't their only options. Like even Tesla now, you know, they have an option. Obviously, once you spec it out, you're not spending under $50,000, but, you know, on paper, you can get in for half of, of what, if we're being very generous, it seems like would have been your price to, to get into the Apple car ecosystem. I just, I just don't understand. I think this is my, my struggle is like, not that I don't think Apple could make a fantastic user interface for a car and that it wouldn't be an amazing experience. I just don't know why Apple as a company wants to be in the car business.
0: Yeah, let me put it to you this way and see if you agree. Even the watch is primarily a computer, and you know apple put a lot of work they've done i mean really as a watch nerd outside apple watch one of the most amazing things they've done is what they've done with band designs across the board from the the sport band that is sort of the default band to the their link bracelet and the way that you can just adjust it and take links out with your fingernail instead of any mm-hmm. kind of fancy tools the leather stuff uh it, they're they're really nice bands and
1: yeah they are. They are. I, I, the only criticism I have is I got the, the light pink, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, what if the fancy buckle thing was. Yeah, and right. that, that that didn't hold up super well. It got dirty. I mean, I was able to clean it, but it just was one of those things that was like, eh. Yeah.
0: You know, it, well, it,
1: showed, it showed its wear. Uh,
0: but still, fundamentally, the basic idea of the Apple Watch is it's a tiny computer on your wrist. Yeah. That's the main thing it is. And the watch parts of it, like buckling and, you know telling the time, are all sort of secondary to the computer-type parts. Whereas a car, no matter how much of it is computerized, right? And, you know, Tesla has shown clearly, you know, lead led the way with putting mm-hmm. a big, big computer display as the dashboard interface. 100%. Uh, you know, so the dashboard, uh, console, the whole thing, you, you could certainly imagine how Apple would want to design that and would enjoy designing that. But the main part of the car is not the dashboard, right? Right. <laughs> it's the actual driving of, this the car car. Yeah. I You know, and that's, you know, that is the big difference to me with the car, with every other product, both existing and rumored that Apple's ever made. You know, the, all the VR, AR stuff, is to me exactly like the watch, right? Where it's fundamentally a computer and secondarily something else, right? Like even Mm -hmm. the, especially the one that supposedly is coming first, the $3,000, according to the information, VR headset with two 8K displays, it's a computer. And so put aside where they're, oh my God, $3,000, blah, blah, blah. It's still, it's a computer, And that's exactly what Apple's always made. They used to be called Apple Computer. Um, And even the supposedly after that AR glasses that you would wear all day that would project some sort of heads-up display in front of you, it's a computer device. And fashion second, where, you know, whatever the Apple glasses look like, you know, Apple's design prowess and taste would certainly, you would think, help in that regard in the same way it did with the watch, where people like wearing glasses. The Apple Watch and think right. it looks good on their wrist. Car is very different. I don't know. I, 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 so one idea would be the cynical idea why would they do this is, well, there's a lot of money to be made making cars. So we should make a car. The non cynical answer would be that they have one or more ideas to redefine the car market and think, you know, that they're onto something that no one else is thinking about or, or no one else could do, they might think, and therefore they're going to do it. But I don't know what those ideas are. I don't, you know, they're not in my imagination.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it, I guess I guess the, the, the hard thing I have to kind of square with it is, yeah, maybe they feel like they can do something. But if I look at what Apple's strengths are, and they have many, I, like, to be totally candid, like, transportation, navigation, not one of them, right? Like AI in general, I don't actually think is one of their strengths and 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 I I don't mean that with disrespect, it's just that the way that Apple cares about privacy and the things that they put forward work at a disadvantage to them, I think with with their systems compared to the models from the other big tech companies. So
0: I th- I think I wrote about that recently with one of my continuing series of goofy um you know, instances with Siri giving nonsensical answers to things. I mean, the one I just posted the other day was I said, hey, Dingus, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning Wednesday at 3, which in fact was today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Siri set a reminder for me at 3 a.m. to pick up the dry cleaning. And I posted, you know, posted what I said, which was, hey, Dingus, pick up the dry cleaning at three. And I wasn't trying to be uh, obstinate and I wasn't trying to t- stress test it. And uh, yes, most of the time when I speak to Siri, and I do speak to Siri a lot, you know, um, mm-hmm. it works. But every time it jumps out in a nonsensical way, it is, it's is—it's the needle scratching on a record. And this one, you know, it, it makes no sense. And I, I, I know, I think I wrote longer about it. Like, I think it was Nilai Patel who had the thing about, hey, what time is it in London? And, yeah. And it gave the time for like London, Ontario. Right. And my explanation of this was look, the baseline is what would a human assistant do? And if you had a human assistant, who you hired and you said, Hey, what time, can you find out what time it is right now in London? And they returned, they gave you the time in London, Ontario. You, you honestly, and I don't mean this to exaggerate, you would immediately have to think I might have to fire this assistant because yeah. this this person is too stupid to have the job.
1: Yeah. No, and this, the same thing for setting like a, a reminder for you to get your dry cleaning at 3 a.m. <laughs> right. <So> like,
0: <laughs> the funny, here's a funny part about that is there's a clip, somebody sent me a clip, and they're like, do you, do you remember Mitch Hedberg, the comedian? Yeah, and, and yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah, yeah. he died a few he's years died, ago. Yeah, I
1: yeah.
0: But he actually had a bit about, he was on Letterman, and, and I'm not going to do it justice because he's so great, but he said, I was walking down the street one night and there was a, uh, uh, dry. I walked past a dry, and literally a dry cleaner, and it said, uh, and it was three a.m. and they had a sign on the door, and it said closed. And I'm like, you don't need to tell me that at three a.m. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's like, holy cow! It wasn't just any business; it was a dry cleaner. The time was three. That's uh, it's just crazy, you know. You just you you would honestly think about a human being. This person is is like mentally insufficient <laughs> to do the job of, as as my personal Christ. assistant. I, how can I trust this person if they're going to make mistakes like this? Right. And, and you know, how, how, and again, it's not a joke because they're talking about making a car. Right. This isn't like a joke.
1: But- I mean, yes, exactly. I mean, and even though Apple Maps has gotten better, <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not as good as Google Maps. It's not even close.
0: Well, it's um, not as good as a taxi driver, right? I mean, no, the baseline. The baseline is you get into a lift or a taxi, mm-hmm. and you say, you know, drive me to 30th Street Train Station. You expect to get a reasonable route directly to there. And, and I, I'm, Google Maps or Apple Maps. Usually, I, I use Apple Maps, and I think it's pretty good. But is it? Yeah,
1: I, I use it too. Although it did get me stuck on a mountain once, but that's a whole other thing. But yeah. yeah.
0: Is it good enough? Uh, I don't know. Is it good enough to to drive the car around? I don't know.
1: Well, that's the thing. If if I'm being completely candid, I mean, and I don't drive. So the idea of a self-driving car actually greatly appeals to me. And I would even be someone who would be willing to spend a premium on that if there was like a truly like self-driving car thing where I didn't have to be behind the wheel at all and do any of it. But I'm going to need to have trust in the system that it's going to get me where I need to go, that it's going to understand things, and from a pure navigation standpoint, I I don't have that in Apple Maps, yeah. and and the the sad thing is is that I have no doubt that there are people and and systems and and you know uh, engineers at Apple who could make a system that I could have full trust in, uh, just like how Siri is different on different devices. Like I find that it's actually quite good on Apple TV but it's terrible in a lot of other places. Mm -hmm. It's highly kind of context dependent. But the problem is, is that it's always called the same thing. So if, you know, I'm in an Apple car that has Apple maps in it with its Apple drive system or or whatever, like I'm, I'm going to be pretty skeptical that I can trust it to get me from point A to point B without either taking me the wrong way, you know, that's going to, waste me more time or worst case scenario, get me, you know, stuck on a mountain.
0: I'll take an aside here and say that I'm deeply skeptical about true self-driving cars, meaning that you could truly just get in a car, tell the car where to go and fall asleep and not be completely cognizant as somebody being the driver cognizant, ready to go. And furthermore, I'm also very very skeptical of Tesla style current Tesla feature yes. availability of you can mostly trust it.
1: I actually think that's the worst to be totally honest. Right because-, because it gives it gives people like they feel like they can trust it and and they don't take the precautions that they should.
0: I'm and, yeah I'm terrified of getting into car accidents. I'm general. I, I'm perhaps even slightly phobic about it. I do drive, and and but I I I find like the current rate of the number of people who get into either deadly or very very seriously injured car accidents on a daily basis terrifying.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I typically walk everywhere in Philadelphia. I'm I, every single time I see someone who is obviously on their phone while they're driving a car, I'm enraged. I, I yeah. would like to have an entire second police force whose job is to do nothing but identify people who are uh, on their phone while driving cuz I'm terrified by it. I I honest to god would rather have people drinking and driving. Than texting and driving, because at least when you're drinking and driving, you're looking at the road and you're thinking, "Oh shit, I've had you know too much to drink." And you know, I, honestly, God, right. that's how bad. I I think you're more impaired. I don't think I'm not trying to say you should drink and drive. I'm saying no, I no, think- no. I
1: mean, well, studies have shown that you're right. I mean, studies have actually shown that it, maybe not more, but certainly as impaired. Um, texting right. and driving has has shown that. So I I don't think you're wrong there, and I I'm actually very critical of Tesla's model because it creates this false sense of trust that you don't have. You
0: can't the, possibly keep your attention. <laughs> no, when, <laughs> no.
1: And, and and even worse, you know, Tesla claims that they don't promote it, but they do. There's the wink and the nudge of all the things that you can do. And and that, I think, is really dangerous because it's the same thing, like the reason that we have people who text and drive um, are because, you know, people felt like they can multitask and they can do those things. And it's, it's become deadly and Millions and millions of people have died that way, and I worry. I'm I'm with you. Like like look like long term, I think that we might get to a point where we get up truly really self driving cars. I don't know if we'll see it in, in our lifetimes or not, but I, I feel I feel like it is a ways off. But I, I do have like actually, I think that the assisted but we're so good you can trust it to be unassisted model is is the most dangerous thing. Like I would I much more prefer the. Models of, of the self-driving technology that require, you know, hands to be on the wheel and that require, like, eyes to be focused on the road and that sort of thing for the systems to work um, than, than what Tesla does.
0: I, I really do agree with that. One time, a couple years ago, I got invited to – I never ended up writing about it, or at least not much. I didn't write the feature that I probably should have. But I got invited to Mercedes um, – not a headquarters, but they're like, I forget if it was in San Jose. Where's Yahoo's headquarters?
1: Uh, Sunnyvale.
0: Sunnyvale. I think that's where Mercedes has a big self-driving car installation in Silicon Valley. And I got invited there in the media to do like, uh, see their self-driving stuff. And I took a ride in a self-driving Mercedes vehicle I was paired up with uh, Mark Bergen, who's at uh, Recode. And so Mark and I were in the back seat of a Mercedes. There was a press person in the passenger seat, and then there was one of their engineers behind the wheel. And Mm -hmm. it was very impressive. I mean, and the car really did do uh, pretty much all the driving. And we went from the parking lot at their office to uh, out in the highway for a bit and came back. And the car did just about everything. It got confused on the on-ramp to the highway. It had to go a little bit uphill, and it was right into the sun, and it just sort of froze up. And the car braked, like, tended to brake everywhere like a student driver, meaning that, like, yeah. your your head would go forward, you know, like, yep. it got stopped short. But the car really did do the driving, and it was impressive. But it's, it, it's just... It, to not have somebody behind the wheel, forget about it. And and I, I think that the industry will quickly get to the point where, in theory, you could have a closed circuit, like your own little city, and if you banned all human drivers and only allowed cars that were autonomous and talked mm-hmm. to each other— that would work. I think we'll yeah, get there. I agree. They could do that today. The problem is have mixing the autonomous cars with the <laughs> human no, drivers. No, I agree with you.
1: I agree with you. It's, it's funny. It was about four years ago now, but I actually made a very similar argument when I was at uh, the New York Auto Show um, on a panel about self-driving cars. And I had to, you know, in front of all these corners, I was like, I don't have a driver's license, but let me tell you my thoughts. And that was kind of exactly my thought is that it's got to be like, the mixed thing. It's going to be really hard to to make it truly autonomous and make it work. Whereas if you mandated, you know, um, it can only be self-driving cars. And and then you have, you know, um, like IOT run, you know, 5G, you know, whatever, running like traffic lights and, and sending other data signals and whatnot to control traffic flow. I think that could work uh, pretty well, but uh, the United States is not going to be the best place for that. For lots of reasons, but it's possible we might see it in parts of Asia. I don't know.
0: So part of that United States thing, we've learned this lesson over the last year. Americans tend to be very uh, stubborn.
1: I was going to say, yeah. I mean, yeah, our, look, our our independence is our right. greatest feature and our greatest like weakness, right. to be totally honest, is our our need for autonomy in that way.
0: So part of the Mercedes thing we had it was it was time well spent and I was very interested and it was a good presentation. But I I my question during one of the briefings was okay. Let's say we get to fully you know stage four. I f- I forget what's was there's like there's like a standard one two three four and maybe five. But four or five is like fully autonomous. It's Kit right? It's Kit from Knight Rider, and you just say Kit, take me to uh, take me to the airport. And you could sit in the back seat, and Kit will drive you to the airport. Um, even at the like stage below that where it's like the driver can kind of like – you have to have a driver, and, but you can kind of like not pay attention. And it'll like beep at you if you need to take over and you have a right. couple seconds. Even at that stage, my question was, okay – you're in you're you're in a car and you're 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 behind the wheel, but the car takes over and you're going somewhere. Will you be allowed to exceed the speed limit? Mm-hmm. And it was it, I knew I had a good question because <gasps>
1: they paused.
0: They paused, <laughs> <laughs> and they said no, <laughs> and that was the whole full answer. And, you know, that is – honestly, that alone is not going to fly in the United States. You know, the idea yeah. that you're on a road with a 65-mile-an-hour speed limit and your car will not go 66 – right? Uh,
1: well and, and more to the point, there are places where even if the limit is sixty five the flow of traffic is seventy five right and if you 're going sixty five it could actually be dangerous, like if you're trying to get off uh, the interstate or something like it I, could actually be a problem
0: I, I I joke about driving fast on this podcast many times over the years, and i do when I do drive, I do like to drive fast on the highway um but it is true that no joke about it it going the speed limit on a lot of high you know with with good you know flowing traffic
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's dangerous it is yes. dangerous to go 65 on a lot of roads or 55 or whatever the speed limit is uh it is it, but the cars won't and you know for logical reasons and presumably uh, you know 50 60 years from now you know if we're still driving cars at all They'll all be autonomous, and they'll be able to go 120 miles an hour, you know, because it'll be fantastic. Like, if you ever see, like, little animations of, like, what cars could do, if every car was autonomous, the way you'd be able to, like, zip through intersections. right?
1: Yeah, no, it'd be incredible. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's kind of my secondary thing, too, aside from— maybe some of the logistical things or whatnot is like, okay, I maybe get the appeal. Like, I get the appeal for a lot of companies, not Apple, investing in self-driving tech and and maybe investing in, you know, the tech where you want to be the brains of what the self-driving cars are for other people. If you're like a very strong infrastructure play, right? Like where your whole thing is you want people using your stuff. That's typically not Apple's thing, though. They like to make their own things. They don't really like to power, like, other people's stuff, like as great as the M1 is and as amazing things that they've done with that, I I don't really, like, and Intel is fucked for a lot of reasons, but I don't feel like Apple can take on Intel in volume, nor would they want to, right? Like, so I look at the car and I think, okay, so why do this? This is going to be, we know, a high price um a project it's, it requires engineering resources and expertise that not to say apple couldn't hire for that but certainly that is not part of their instinctive dna and then i look kind of long term like okay if you're investing in this it just seems to me and i i know i must be missing something but i feel like would it not be better to be looking at like high speed rail or bullet trains or other types of transportation that way rather than cars? Like, why cars, which seem to be electric, e- e- EV aside, you know, um, globally, it's going to be something that all predictions seem to indicate is going to be on the decline.
0: I don't know. You know, it is. And again, you know, it's I can see why they don't get into trains because trains require the government. Right. You cannot you sure. can't build the train tracks, although, you know, Elon Musk has tried to propose building a what a tunnel between
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> between los angeles and san yeah, the francisco hyperloop. right the hyperloop oh
1: just, I, just, I mean i love it like, i would too
0: i i i laugh i you know please i i hope hope he does it you i seriously know?
1: put me in the tube but like i would love that that'd be amazing you know,
0: i know he's building i know you know the rocket ships work i mean so i'm not i'm not laughing that he that it can't oh, no, be I done know, I know. but yeah you know at least a car is uh You know, something somebody they could just sell and you meet the regulatory requirements and then people can just buy it and they can just drive on the road. But whatever it is, I guarantee you this. I mean, whatever my – however wrong my pessimistic take on true autonomy is, if the rumors are true that they're looking at starting to build these three, four years from now or even less – but let's say three, four years from now, there's no way they're gonna be autonomous. I mean no. fully autonomous. No, there's
1: not. Yeah. No, from a- regulatory aside, yeah, they're they're not.
0: So whatever their reason for wanting to do it, that's not it. Like the the you know, what is the the oh we've got this thing and we're gonna redefine the industry, it's not autonomy, not full autonomy. It says me now, you know. But I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. And even if it were, it wouldn't be legal. Right. Uh so I don't know. I it's a very good question and I I don't quite get it. But Volkswagen they're not afraid.
1: No, I mean I I do agree with you though the way that they framed it like I think that it probably would have been better to be like we wel- do do the typical yeah. bullshit uh, tech uh you know exact thing. We welcome our competition into the new space when really you're like holy shit we're watching our back. Yeah. We don't welcome them get out of here, but I also don't feel like this is a Ed Colligan thing where, you know, he says, you know, PC guys aren't just going to waltz in here. I do feel like there are a lot of things that are much more difficult about cars and a lot of things that go counter, frankly, to Apple's strengths, whereas the phone really spoke to all of their strengths even before they entered that space, you know. Um, I would never bet against Apple, to be very clear on that. I would never bet against them. It's just one of those things where I'm kind of like, is why why this versus some of the other areas you could go into. That's that's just always my question.
0: I guess, you know, if we're just going to spitball wildly spitball, I mean, if they have some kind of breakthrough that's in totally secret on batteries and electric yeah. oh, drive electric okay. drive trains, right? Like
1: Okay. Okay. You know. Yeah. I could see that.
0: It's something like that, you know, it, it could be something like that. I mean, I know right now, even like Teslas are super, super heavy because the batteries mm-hmm. are so big and they handle weird. They're very fun, you know. I've never driven one, but I know that they accelerate like
1: they do, they bad accelerate. Out of hell. Oh, amazingly. And then right. they make no noise, which right. is, which is kind of incredible. Um, uh, last thing before we move on to another thing, if you want to, but maybe I, I actually think that you might be right on the batteries. And maybe this would be a way for them to test their batteries, because if they could, if they could nail battery tech in something like a car, think about how that could trickle down into all their other devices.
0: Right, and if it's something that's easier to make big first,
1: yes, exactly.
0: Before right. it gets shrunk to your pocket, right? Yes. You know, so, so
1: maybe you start with that, and then you know, you, you kind of do you know, like like a wafer model sort of thing. It's Like, okay, we we nail this, and then we can miniaturize it and put it in everything else.
0: Here's the other question. I mean, think about this. This is, a, I, I feel like people aren't speculating on it enough, especially now that people are starting to say, hey, it's like two, three years out, right? Mm-hmm. Is where do they sell the cars?
1: Right. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: I, I have never seen an Apple store that is ready to sell cars. I mean, some of the flagships, I'm trying to think, I was only in the new San Francisco flagship once, the one that took over the old Levi's building. Um uh, mm-hmm. that one's pretty big, you know, Fifth Avenue in New York, no way. Fifth Avenue right? in New York,
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> go no, down. there's no way. You have no. To go downstairs. Exactly. You'd have to go downstairs to show up the car. I mean, the thing is is that you could do what Tesla does, where you know, you could have like the reservations and you could have right. that thing and you could have delivery. But yeah, where do people go to see it? Where do people go to potentially take a test drive? Um, and and Tesla struggled with that too. Although they had to walk back, like they orig- originally were going to close a bunch of their dealerships, or, or they don't call them dealerships because there's a, a legal thing around that, but their stores. But then they they kept some of them open. There are a number of them. Um, I'm not sure if they're what their state of opening is given the, the pandemic. But um, in the Seattle area, uh, there are like a lot. Of, of Tesla stores. Uh, I think Bellevue, which is a Seattle suburb, is second only to Palo Alto in terms of numbers of Teslas sold. So there are um, a number of places where people can go get them. But even that, like I will say, Tesla definitely took from Apple and it's much more of an Apple experience where you go in and you place your order and you see a car, but it's not like you're going to drive off the lot with it. And it's, you know, <laughs> right. like right. That, it, that's not the experience. It's not a car dealer. Is not a car dealer.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I've been to a Tesla in a mall, the King of Prussia mall here in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia area. I think they closed though before COVID even, but they used to have a Tesla in the mall. And,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they had like one car in there. And it was mainly like a place where you could just go and look at one and talk to somebody and then I guess make an appointment to. Get a real, you know, test drive a real one, but it's very strange. It would be very strange for Apple. I mean, and, and on a personal level, me, John Gruber, if they come out with a car, do do I get a review unit? Like right. a car would be a crazy thing to get a review unit for.
1: No, you 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 would get a loan. You would you they would do it the same way that they do review units for other things. They would like let you you would sign out at a, an agreement and you would get it for a week or whatever. I. Or- 10 days or whatever. How
0: would would I, how would I charge it? Like, don't you need, wouldn't you, won't you need like some kind of expensive thing in your garage? I mean, what happens if I don't have a garage? I I happen to have a garage, but do I have room for an extra
1: car? um, I'm trying to think. So, uh, cause I used to work um, at a Gizmodo media group and the, the, with the Jalopnik guys who would do a lot of car reviews. And those are, you know, most of those guys live in Brooklyn where they don't have garages. Or access to any of that stuff. And they would review EVs, although some of those people would live other places. And yeah, I mean, I think that you would find places where you could either adapt a way to charge or there would be a charging station. Um, and they might give you like a limited loan. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was not uncommon where, you know, I friends who live in apartments who would be, you know, test driving expensive automobiles in New York City. So it can be done. Uh, it just is obviously requires a lot more logistics than, you know, shipping somebody a phone or, or having a product <laughs> briefing with a watch. Yeah, I don't you know.
0: I don't think FedEx drops them off.
1: No, no. Uh, and the thing, too, is that you have a much more limited number of, like, review devices, right? Like, right. it's not like you can give the whole press corps one. It's one of those things where you have, like, a couple or maybe, like, two, like one kind of for the coast where people are going to take turns. Um, so it would be a lot more limited, I assume. But, yeah. All, and that even says, does Apple want – the the press reviews you know or or do they want to do what they've been doing recently which is do they want to see the the car youtubers like i could see them doing that right right like and just bypassing the traditional automotive press altogether
0: i don't know right and it's like i know that there is an automotive press and i know that the automotive press reviews cars without buying them you know they they get of the equivalent of, you know, loaners. Yep. What I'm wondering is will Apple go to the usual Apple reviewers? Like is it me and the Verge and Matthew Panzerino and Joanna Stern? Or do they go to the car people? Like it just seems it's probably a mix. It seems crazy though. You know, and yeah. I guess I guess it comes down to what is the thing that they think is special about the car.
1: Yeah. And it probably—I mean, like, they would probably go to The Verge. The Verge has a transportation editor. Right. Uh, It—you know, Neale would probably want to review it himself. But, you know, I mean, they would probably go there. The Wall Street Journal would get one, whether, you know, Joanna or their car reviewer would be up to them. Uh, You and Panzerino— I guess it depends on if they see you as car enthusiasts and, and influencers or not, right? Like,
0: <laughs> it's just a crazy thing to, for me to review. I, I, oh, I
1: agree. Well, okay, but like, but for instance, Marquez, Marquez Brownlee, would oh, get definitely, one. yeah. Like, like he would be number one. And I actually think that that would probably be you'd see more of that type of things. I think that if it were me, if I were Apple, and I were trying to you know seed review units for this mythical Apple car, I would be going after the big tech YouTubers who we all know have Teslas. And get them on board honestly
0: I don't know it's it's just a fascinating personal aspect to it, and it's like and how, how do I send it back? How do I get yeah, how, it How do you
1: send it back? How, how, how do you give it back to them? No totally I mean right. yeah um, yeah I mean and I say this is somebody who I more than one occasion actually had you know companies want me to do potentially car reviews. And I'm like, I don't have a license. I can connect (laughs) with someone else, you know? (laughs) Like, oh, come on. But you you can I'm like, nope. (laughs) Don't wanna even if I did, would genuinely have no interest because like you, I have I live in fear of like getting in a car accident. And to me, the only thing that would be more nightmare inducing than getting in a normal car accident would be getting in a car accident with $100,000 $100,000 review car for Apple. Right. Like that would genuinely be, like that would keep me up at night, like right. 100%. Like that would be enough of a panic inducement. I wouldn't even be able to enjoy it because I'd be so freaked out about, like, what <laughs> happens if I wreck this car? Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My guess is the way they would do it is that they would be a, a limited number of reviews just for, you know, for the obvious Absolutely. reason. And that they would deliver them. You know, like ding dong, they'd show up at the you know where where you know what's your address as somebody would show up, the car is there, mm-hmm. and you know with with a a colleague in another car to take the person who brought it home, and then like you know two weeks later, we're gonna come and we'll pick it up,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: thats I guess was what they would do, I don't know, yeah, but-
1: I think that's what they would do, and they would probably you know um prioritize people who either live places that have charging stations, like in my apartment building, um, we have a couple of EV, um, uh, chargers, um, that the people can use or whatever. So they would prioritize like people who either live near one that they can go to, to top up or, or have their own garage where they can retrofit, you know, or have an adapter or whatever to use their, their main, you know, like power outlet to charge the, to charge the
0: thing. Yeah. And, you know, and, it, typically it doesn't really make a big difference that i'm in philadelphia which isn't really you know a hub for apple but i'm close to new york but again it, shipping anything else apple has ever made <laughs> Is not that big a deal because it can always just come FedEx,
1: right? A car, like the car, like this is going to have to be on a flatbed. Like this is either going to have to be driven or this is going to have to be on a flatbed that's going to be delivered to you.
0: Well, presumably they they would have a couple sent to New York. However, they send cars, and then I would guess somebody from New York, somebody from Apple, would drive it from New York to Philadelphia and drop it off at my house. But I I don't know.
1: I mean, that's what I would assume. Either that, or they would have some sort of place where you would go to pick it up,
0: right? But like what would they do if I lived in uh what's like Nebraska? I probably wouldn't get one. I <laughs> you probably guess. wouldn't get
1: one. Like you would need to be somebody who'd be super high on right. their list for you to get one.
0: Right. Or else I'd have to agree to like spend a week in California and get a hotel and you know, drive there around. There you go. The car that that would
1: be it. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it I'm trying to think like the the car press is kind of distributed, but you do have a lot of people in Detroit, you do have people right. in New York obviously, people in California. Um, and, uh, and they, they get their cars, um, there, but I think for people who would be in other places who would want it, yeah, you need to either make your own arrangements, um, or, um, be somebody who would be deemed so important to review this that they would be willing to, you know, go through the extra
0: but it, uh, it really just it brings to mind. I mean, I've I've thought about this. It just brings to mind what a preposterous thing to own a car is. Like we just in America, we just have this car culture. And I mean, this just, is
1: this is my point. Thank right. you. I I I live with someone who loves cars, and I don't get it. And so I I think that this underscores my whole like question, it's like why are you wanting to get into this space? Because. It is a preposterous notion that you're spending as much as, you know, you could on a house for a depreciating asset.
0: Well, and it's again, it's not like watches where you buy a $10,000 Rolex and you could sell it for $20,000. 10 years from yeah. now, you know, you're, you know, as they say, it depreciates the moment you drive it off the lot.
1: Exactly. So you drive it off the lot and it, it loses whatever its value right. is. And,
0: and that is the other thing. I mean, let's, let's go with this. Cause I've, I mentioned my son before. So my son's 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the driver driving age in Pennsylvania is 16. And when my wife and I turned 16 and we lived in the suburbs, we, I mean, we had already had our permits because you could get your permit I don't know it was like 3 months before you turn 16 you can get your driver's permit and it's like right. three, 3 months to the day cuz the car meant freedom when you live right. in the suburbs Yeah and yeah I, and,
1: but for your son like we talked about this last show like he yeah, doesn't care right
0: Right yeah we, yeah so we did bring it up but yeah he, he's 17 and does not it, the last it, it, it it's homework he doesn't want because what does he want to study to take a driver's test he doesn't want to drive anywhere he lives in the city he walks most places he goes and once this covid thing blows over he'll take go back to you know we i he still hasn't taken like an uber by himself but you know 17 18 he he will probably by the mm-hmm. time this spring blows over you know none of his friends drive they don't want to drive they don't need to drive and an Uber and a right. Lyft is better. You don't have to park.
1: Well, you don't have to park, uh, which parking, depending on where you live, it can be extremely expensive. I imagine right. it's, it's pricey in, in parts of Philadelphia and hard to find and, and yep. you know, takes time. And and if you have an expensive car, then becomes yet another, like, thing that you are afraid about because you've got your pricey car off there in the city, right? Like, cars are great in the suburbs, in the cities. And I'm, I'm a city person, so, right. yeah. Again, like, this kind of goes to my question. Like, I think about all these things and, like— I'm like, okay. This a lot of the car companies are trying to turn themselves into tech companies, which makes sense because that's where they feel like they can continue to prosper and sell. But it's been a trend for the last decade that uh, you know kids are getting their driver's license later and later, and are fewer people are buying cars. Like that's been a problem for the car industry. Like Ford has faced that, and and the other big manufacturers have too. And again, I would never bet against Apple because I feel like. Apple is unique in that they can enter markets that seem to not make sense and can make um, things work really well. It's just like, this just seems like, okay, but all the car companies want to be you. Why do you want to be a car company?
0: And I wonder a little bit. And I know lots of people at Apple uh live in San Francisco literally in the city and they take, you know, like the buses down to to Cupertino, the, to Cupertino yeah. and I know that's a big deal and they they you know in a way that would have made no sense 20 years ago but it makes tons of sense now with ubiquitous cellular networking. You can actually, mm-hmm. you know, start your work day and do be yep. be productive. And people go there and park and spend all day at work and then drive home. If they don't, if they don't live in the city and take the bus, and they live, you know, somewhere in between. But I can't help but think if there's a little bit of a bias towards car culture there because Silicon Valley is a place where you drive to go places. Yeah, you do. Yeah,
1: that's and true.
0: If does it bias them in a the way that I think in ways, lots of little ways, Apple's products are sort of biased towards California weather. Mm. Right. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Like, why doesn't the iPhone show you the temperature on the lock screen? Right. Well, because it's seventy-one and sunny. What else? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. But yeah. No. That's that's a good. That's a really good point. Yeah. No. That makes sense. I mean, it, it does also. And maybe the other thing that, that could influence them is that if all of your competitors in the area are interested in this thing, then I'm not saying that like you're you have to be follow on, but it's hard to, it would be hard for that not to be influential in some way, right? Yeah. Like the, the same way that, you know, everybody's making a, a microcomputer, you want to get into that business. Everybody's making a phone, you want to get into that business. If everybody around you is, is investing in all the hiring talent is so competitive around automotive and about self-driving around AI and all that stuff, maybe that plays a role. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, let me take a break and we'll thank our next sponsor. It's our friends at Linode who host Daring Fireball so well. Very, very happy with them as a customer, paying customer. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines to develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of the talk show. 100 bucks. You can find all the details. At linode.com slash the talk show, linode.com slash the talk show. Linode has 11 global data centers, 24 seven, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs. You want tech support. You get a real human who knows what they're talking about and can help you regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your hundred bucks in credit. On S3 compatible object storage, they're managed Kubernetes and more. So once again, to get started, go to Linode.com slash the talk show and click on the create free account button to get started. My thanks to Linode for sponsoring the show and for hosting Daring Fireball. Uh well, let's talk about Clubhouse before we yeah. run out of time. Uh uh, what what are your thoughts on clubhouse? I feel like clubhouse right now is is, is like as we speak february twenty twenty one it's still in private mhm i I wouldn't call it beta I mean it's on the app store it's,
1: it's invite only
0: right, but they seem to be accelerating the invitations to the point now where february twenty twenty one sort of is the month where clubhouse went big,
1: yeah, I would agree with that I mean, I would say maybe maybe january um no, I yeah, I'm trying to think when when was Elon on? When when did he do yeah. the the Game Stonk thing? That was like that was its you know, Oprah joins Twitter
0: moment. Yeah. Twenty twenty one to date, January to February. And I'm yeah. sure, you know, in hindsight, you know, there'll be even more people in March and more people in April, but it's getting big. A, can you describe what Clubhouse is? <laughs> And B, yeah. tell me your thoughts about it.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm going to find something that I sent. Let me find my my tweet that I, I sent about it because Steven Sanofsky was annoyed with me, but I stand by it. Um, okay. This was what someone asked me uh, like two weeks ago. It says, what does one do with Clubhouse? And then I wrote, waste time not working by listening to other people not working, talking about stuff they claim to be experts in but really aren't while hoping for celebrities to show up.
0: <laughs> oh. That's pretty. That's pretty tart, but
1: but I don't disagree but, with it. Okay, and I say this as someone who I've spent a lot of time on Clubhouse. I've hosted shows on Clubhouse when that was still a beta feature. I think I joined in April. I'm I'm not above this like at all. I'm just saying like when I use it, it is usually because it's either the end of the day um, and there I see one of the many notifications come in that you know somebody are on and something interesting is going on or. I'm, like, you know, kind of trying to avoid doing actual work, and so I tune in in the afternoon and then listen to other people, you know, who are often doing the same thing. And then there is that bit of, like, oh, and maybe someone famous will, you know, pop in. I don't know. I'm I'm being totally honest. Like, for me, that— that is kind of the appeal. That's not to say that I don't think there – I think that you can have some real substantive and interesting conversations, and, and there are some really interesting ways it can be used. And the way that its interest graph is both connected but disconnected from Twitter I think is interesting, Um I was I was in I was in a room last week, and someone's ten uh, year old was was briefly in the room before that was uh, deemed I guess not okay. And and um, we were asking the the youth some questions uh, about their use of technology, and and you know they kind of described it. They were like, "Oh, it's Discord for adults," and that's actually not a bad description, to be totally honest. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's you know kind of Discords audio groups, but you know audio channels for adults. That's that's not a completely terrible analogy.
0: Uh, I, I'm i trying to still wrap my head around it. I think they're on. I, I do think they're on to something. Oh, totally. Um, and uh, I also think, and I haven't quite had this feeling about something since Instagram in 2010. Like, mm-hmm. so I was not on the Instagram beta. Uh, MG Siegler was, and yeah. he tweeted enough like pictures from it. I definitely kind of was like, okay, square pictures, filters. Yep. Uh, and then I, I was just saying on my other podcast, Dithering with Ben Thompson, I think the episode that aired this morning, that I remember where I was when I realized Instagram was out of beta and I could sign up. I was with my family down in Disney World and I was on a bus going from, uh, I think I even remember which park we were going to. We are going from our hotel to the Disney Studios park on the the little Disney transportation bus. And I was like, oh, it's out of beta. Quick, get Gruber. Oh, it's still available. Got it. Uh, Start clicking around. And like within five minutes, because, you know, all of a sudden we're at Disney and it's time to, you know, have fun and go on rides and stuff. I was like, oh, this is, I get this. This is great, you know. Yeah, and now that is the original Instagram, where it was just you post pictures and you see pictures from the people you follow, and you can yep. comment on the pictures, um, and you can apply these filters that re- you know at the time was a great feature because cell phone cam- cell phone cameras were still so crappy. The filters it really added
1: it was perfect, and in right. in um what was it hipstagram or no hipstomatic hipstomatic it was was awesome so it like fit with that whole aesthetic that was happening at the time but it made it easy to to apply like they they didn't take as long as you know some of the other filter apps did and it it really made your photos look better and and added like I remember when they added the tilt shift feature and yeah. it was like amazing, oh, right? yeah, it, yeah. The tilt shift feature was this massive deal because I was like, oh my God, I, I can take Mr. Rogers' pictures, right? Like, Hip- is how I felt. At the time, um,
0: Hipstamatic took so long. And I still don't know. I've never talked to anybody who could explain it. I don't know if they did it on purpose to, to fake. Yeah. But Hipstamatic took so long to apply filters. I remember talking to somebody at Apple about it and they're like, yeah, it makes no sense that even if they're using a bad algorithm it shouldn't take that long and it was like yeah right. it's crazy it was frustrating and instagram let you like oh I, this filter nope this filter nope and mm-hmm. they'd apply instantly and then you'd pick one that made your picture look better and then you'd post it and i was like i got it i was like oh this is going to be huge yeah I, I just just a snap judgment i feel 100%. that way i feel that way about clubhouse with a just with a little less certainty because the thing about instagram was i knew i wanted to use it Whereas with Clubhouse, right. I'm like, I get this. I can see why people really like it. I don't think this is for me.
1: Yeah. No, I kind of agree with you. And and I'm somebody who, like, I, I go back and forth about my feeling on Like, I do, I, I think that, do I think that it's, you know, current valuation is kind of insane? Yes. Do I think the concept has massive legs? Absolutely. I think the other difference is, is that Instagram came out, there were a couple of other, um, uh, kind of competitors. I remember there was like Pick Please, which was available mm-hmm. on both iOS and Android that um, Dalton Caldwell, who later did App.net, did, and and that didn't you know work. And, and there were some other kind of attempts at doing similar things, but Instagram was always where the momentum was. And I think it's because they had really strong product direction. Yep. Um, I think that always from the beginning, the product direction and the aesthetic and the usability was key.
0: It was always product first. There it was, was always
1: product first. Right. Clubhouse is one of those things where, not that I don't think, where I wonder if it's going to be more like an Instagram stories thing, where not Instagram stories, a Snapchat stories thing. But you, you see where I'm going with this, where it's a great idea, but it could be potentially co opted and done better by someone else. Like I feel like Twitter <laughs> spaces could, you know, beat it in a way that. You know, no one else even had a chance against Instagram, even though Instagram was iOS only until yeah. it was acquired by Facebook. Like, no one else even had a chance. It sucked all the oxygen out of the room uh, because it was it was the best. My, I, I feel like the concept of Clubhouse has a lot of legs. I just don't know if Clubhouse is going to be the thing or if it'll be whatever Mark Cuban things that he thinks he's doing or if it'll be Twitter Spaces. Yeah. I don't think it'll be Facebook's thing. I think Facebook's thing will fall flat on its face. But I do feel like Twitter Spaces could potentially, you know, um, pull the yeah. the Instagram move and and like make their version of stories <laughs> way more successful. Even though it's a blatant copy, it's it's better, you
0: know. I, I you you in my you just echoed my thoughts exactly. Where I feel like either Clubhouse Clubhouse is onto something, yeah. Whether it is the thing and Clubhouse becomes a major titan of networking and owns the space or is it Snapchat stories and it just becomes a feature that everybody has and everybody has these audio group rooms and you can add Mm -hmm. and I don't know which way it's going to go like I either Clubhouse will become the thing for this in the way that Instagram became the thing for just sharing photos um Or it's stories and everybody will have their own implementation of Clubhouse and Clubhouse is just one of them. Like um, uh, on Dithering, Ben and I talked about like the way that like Periscope and Meerkat were on to something with live streaming video from your phone. But there is there is no single home for live streaming video from your phone. Everybody just has live streaming on their platforms. You could do it on YouTube. You could do it on Facebook. You could do it on Citizen. You know, it's just a feature that you add to right. anything that has this sort of thing. I don't know which way it's going to go. The, here's what I see with Clubhouse, and I'm I'm not a heavy user. I uh, haven't even been there that long, but I see three types of rooms i and tell me if you think the the um either off or if I'm missing something I see there's like shows, so like Ben Thompson was on a show there's a show every night called um I forget what it's called now big fun, big time, good time, good time um uh, last night, and it's like a late night talk show, really late night for east Coasters It's like <laughs> uh ten to eleven Pacific, but I was up last night, you know, and hundreds of people listen. It's a lot like a podcast, except yeah. it's live, and it was good, and I liked listening to my friend Ben, and the questions were good, and I liked listening to it, but all I could think is, this is this is just like a podcast, but with A, the frustration of you have to listen live, can't pause, you have to be there and tune in, which is a huge problem compared to, you know, it's like going from having a TiVo to... Yes, t- going back to not having a DVR, and if you right. have to go to the bathroom or your phone rings during a show, you you miss the show. You're screwed totally, <laughs> right? Uh, which is crazy. B,
1: although I think that's why it works. But sorry, go on.
0: Well, yeah, because maybe people are willing to say different things, right? Yeah, um, they're willing to be looser because they're not quite on a permanent record, right? And I get I get it that that's also it, it's not completely unrelated to the popularity of the stories feature on all these mm-hmm. platforms. B, worse audio quality. The audio quality is way worse than the worst podcast I, I've ever listened to. Yeah. They do, technically, they do a great job with crosstalk. They really are doing some good things, but people are just talking into their phones, and they're using phone microphones, and there's a lot of compression. It's it's audio qu- I had my AirPods Pro on last night, and I was like, this is the worst podcast I've ever listened to. I mean, I've, I have listen to podcasts where sometimes guests call in on the phone and they patch mm-hmm. them in like like the old days on radio and they sound better than, than, uh, than Clubhouse. So the shows thing to me is sort of like live podcasts. And yeah, maybe there is a social psychological angle where there still is room for that because it's not a permanent record, right? Like... This podcast with me and you, people will be able to listen to it in years. We don't know if they're listening to it next week or tomorrow, or if they're listening to it in the year twenty thirty, and they're laughing because they're listening to it while their self driving auto uh, Apple car is yes. driving them around. <laughs> yes, right, and they're like, "Wow, John Gruber and Christina Warren were idiots nine years ago."
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: And they're sleeping, you know, and they're you know sleep. They're like going to take a nap in the backseat of their Apple car. Uh, so there's shows. Then there's. B, there's just like group chats, like Mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine people. This is what I've done more of. And you know, maybe you know them, maybe you don't. And there's a topic or something and there's like eight people and you have a talk and you're just chatting. Uh, I find that personally, it's like I'm on the introvert scale enough where I find it exhausting. and. In a way, but I understand that there are other personality types who crave social interaction and they might, they find it energizing and they love it. And 2020 is a great year to launch something like that. 100%. Because people who crave social interaction, um, have no way to fulfill that it's great, but that's definitely not for me. you know, like do you like talking to new people when you go to a party, or do you like talking to your friends? I like mm-hmm. talking to my friends right um because I find it exhausting i mean that's sort of the definition of an introvert uh, but then in the middle, the ones that I find the most interesting are the ones that are sort of like a panel discussion at a conference. And it's different than a, a, a podcast because the audience members can participate. Yes. Right? So you get John Gruber and Christina Warren to talk uh, Apple Car on Clubhouse, and we could have a couple hundred people show up, and we can pick one at a time through the app to invite people to ask us questions about what you and I think about Apple Car. And then for that time, it's me and you and our invited guests from the audience are now the speakers. Everybody else is listening and they can ask us questions that maybe you and I didn't think about and we can answer them. And then after we talk about it, pick somebody else who has their hand up. There's like a hand raise feature. Now that to me is, ooh, that's new.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I actually I totally agree with your your three categories. Um and my experience especially early on has, was mostly with that third category. And I agree with you. I think that's the power because I think that the first two, the first one especially, I don't really see a whole lot there. I think at that point your are audio twitch, right? Like Right. I don't know if the platform really lends itself to anything. I think the second one is interesting and it can be fun. And I'm somebody who is an extrovert and doesn't mind talking to new people, but it can still be one of those things where, you know, it's going to be kind of dependent on what people you can gather together and, and it, I don't remember party lines, but I I think that that was like a thing. Like that was, that's kind of what that seems like, right?
0: I, I remember they existed, but it was also, again, I don't even think I considered myself an introvert at the time. I think when I was younger, I I attributed introvert to shy. And I'm not shy, obviously. I right. mean, I, I, I do a podcast, but I do find it exhausting to talk to new people. I just, Well, it can uh, be.
1: Totally. Whereas I think the third thing, and this is what I think is powerful, is A, as you said, the fact that you can bring in other people, but also you add this this element, because I do think the ephemerality is is key to this. I think the fact that you can't listen again, you have to be tuned in live, you have to be participating, does add something to the experience. And not only can you bring in listeners, but say we were talking about Apple Car, and like this would never happen, but like let's just say And then some listener came in, and it turns out, like, it was Bob Mansfield. (laughs) And Bob Mansfield is a listener, and now we can bring him in, and he can talk, and he can tell us all the ways that we're wrong. And that specific example won't happen. But there have been examples, and there have been rooms I've been in, especially, like, when it was first kind of starting, um, uh, you know, like like in April or so when I was was on it a lot more. um, Ironically, you know, when there were fewer people on it where you would see those sorts of situations happen. And I've seen that happen time and time again, where you have people who are brought in who might have a different perspective. Or again, this is where I get into like the, the celebrity angle, where you have somebody who like has something to add to it that's a really interesting context, who you might even be talking about or might even be talking around and they can share actual insights and give actual information in a way that you wouldn't be able to get through a show, Right because that's, that's scripted and that's planned and that has like a, a performative and kind of PR feel to do it. And that you're not going to get with just a, a random chat of strangers, but instead you're having a conversation around a certain topic with a certain set of people and you all of a sudden have somebody in your audience who's really interesting that you would really love to hear from and you can pull them up. And I can't think of any other place where we would have that way to have kind of that that, that two way dialogue where right. you could bring somebody in, and I do feel like that has a ton of potential,
0: yeah, and it seems like if it, like I said, like let's just say it's me and you, we're doing a panel discussion on apple car conjecture, and people can just jump in and we see who has their hand up, and if you recognize, holy shit, it's Bob Mansfield or you right. know or or you know somebody else who you just know has car experience, you know. You know, it's the, the, the CEO of Volkswagen, you know. Yep. Well, you know, of course, you're, you know, you're going to jump that person to the front to see, you know, what's their question and, and get their their feedback. And, yeah, that happens. And And my thinking about this is I – and I've, you know – I've sort of gotten away from speaking at conferences again, COVID aside, right? just because I find it to be a huge time sink. And I just have sort of reevaluated whether it's, you know, I'm not going to say I'm never going to do it again. And I probably will. And if anything post COVID, it's like, Oh my God, let me do everything I haven't done in the last couple right. of years. Like, um, but I've, you know, back when I used to go to South by Southwest, I did panel discussions and mm-hmm. I always felt like it was a bit of a cheat. You know, because it's so much like you don't do any preparation. You just, you know, pick a topic. You just show up. Totally. You show up and you try to entertain people. And hopefully, I always thought I'm better at it maybe than some people because I don't phone it in. I'm every moment I've ever been on a panel in front of an audience, no matter how small, like maybe it was 30 people because it was the first time I was at South by Southwest. But I was desperately aware, like, I I you know you've paid a lot of money to come to this conference and you're giving me an hour of your time and there's all these other panels you could have been to let mm-hmm. me try to be as interesting and and aware of your time as possible but still it's nowhere near uh, the value that I think I've deliver when I give a prepared talk that I've sweated over for weeks and prepare slides or and and rehearsed and you know it, it, a talk is such an easier way to to do uh to get a a speaker badge than to prepare a talk a uh, a panel i mean is easier than doing a talk just orders of mag- several orders of magnitude in my personal opinion and it's not great it's it's like the best panels you've ever heard are not that great and when there is a question and answer period it usually is awkward uh often gets hijacked by somebody who just wants to ramble for five minutes. and uh, Whereas with Clubhouse, this panel idea is suited to it, right? Like the idea of a panel discussion is way better suited to Clubhouse than a conference because – it is just audio. There's no reason to be in the room together. You know, you're not really getting that much out of it. And when you do do the Q&A type thing and just pull someone out of the audience, they become a full peer to the speaker. They're not out there in the audience on the weirdo yep. mic that got passed around like Phil Donahue. They they get put up in the top of the little window in the in the in the iPhone and now they're on stage. It it's it's much more suited to it. It's it's more convenient and it's like native to the format. That's That's the thing that's most interesting to me and the thing I could see doing is some sort of panel type discussion thing with, you know, Daring Fireball readers and listeners of the show or something like that. I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but I could see doing it.
1: No, and I think, I mean, I, that would be something I would want to love to participate in, like, as a listener and, and potentially as a participant, you know, like, because you would have that potential option in the back of your mind. You're like, hey, I might even be able to have a chance to contribute. But even as a listener, that unexpected thing, if you don't know who all is going to be there, is really interesting. And you mentioned South by Southwest, and it makes me think, like, my favorite parts of South by, and I, I went for, I think, like, 10 years in a row or something, and And I've, you know, been on uh, more panels than I I could think about. And like you, you know, always try to give my own, but there was kind of a, you know, a more off-the-cuff type of aspect of it. But my favorite part of South By was not the panels. It was the side conversations you would have at the parties or that you would have in between panels or that you would have, you know, on the streets. And it would be those times when— you know, you're, this is the same goes for like Macworld or something like that back in the day, or WWDC. It's those hallway conversations where you have this collection of people. XOXO is actually a perfect example. Like you have this Mm. collection of people where you might not ever be in that same group together, but you, you have enough common connections where it doesn't just feel like it's strangers. And you can have these really interesting discussions that you wouldn't expect to have. And maybe you couldn't have naturally in any other way. You know, um, I remember I was at a conference once, and I don't remember which one it was, and I remember that that Twitter had been hacked and, like, celebrities had been hacked. I remember, like, Britney Spears' account had been hacked and something else was going on. And I was talking to the guy who was at the time, like, the head of security at Twitter, and he was having a real rough day, and and we were kind of commiserating. (laughs) And then, like, somebody um, uh, uh, came up um, – I remember who it is, but I'm not gonna out him because it was it was <laughs> hilarious, but I'm not gonna do that. And and not knowing who this guy was, just starts. Can you believe that clusterfuck with Twitter and their security and all this and that? And and just starts going on and on. I was like, hey, this is this is John, you know. <laughs> really? Who runs Twitter security. And and you know, the guy was super embarrassed, but it was a funny conversation. But it was one of those things where this news had just broken and I was ha- having this conversation and, and a very human conversation. It was, you know, good, you know, interaction with this guy who was having a pretty bad professional day and, and um, it was not his fault, but it was, you know, stuff was, was happening or whatever. And um I'll just never forget that. Cause it was like, that's one of those happenstance things. That's kind of a magical experience. Right. <laughs> and this comes, this feels to me like the closest thing that we could do with technology that can capture yeah. those sorts of, you know, situations where you could have a gathering of people who might not ever normally be in the same space but could contribute something to the conversation or could you know maybe make a gaffe and not realize it you know amongst themselves or whatever and you can get something more out of it than just blathering i don't know
0: huh. i maybe i don't know um what do you think of what's? i i like the aesthetic of clubhouse i like the the look of the app I think they're, you know, they've got like a nice little unique thing going. What what's the deal with the icon?
1: Um they update it with um I think it's it's a user um somebody from the community every release. I think that's what that is.
0: And do they tell you who it is? I mean, it's, it's Yeah,
1: I, it used to be in the release notes. I don't huh. know if it still is.
0: It's such a weird to me it's so weird. But yet I dig it because it's so distinctive, right? It's like when you're like flipping through apps; it's like you can't miss Clubhouse. It's this black and white picture of a, of a, some dude with a hat. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. What else? What do you uh, What do you think they're going to do, monetization wise? That's
1: the interesting question. If anything, right. I mean, they might not even have to. Right? I mean, the easiest thing to think about would be sponsored rooms.
0: That's, that's exactly uh, – I was just talking to my pal Dave Whiskus about that. Like To me, that's the obvious route. Yeah. And maybe that's because that's what – that's. I built my whole career on the sponsored model. Yeah. Which I really do see as distinct from advertising, right? I agree. Right? I agree.
1: No, because you could have a, a, a sponsored room sponsored by so-and-so – that doesn't have to dictate, that isn't an advertisement for that. No, right. I think sponsored rooms. I also feel like that could be an opportunity where if you did want to have a more formal panel setting or more formal conversation, and maybe if it's sponsored, like it's pinned at the top of a section so right. it has better visibility. Like, I, th- I think that's what they could do. Yeah. Either sponsor a room, sponsor a section, have something pinned so that it's, it's easier to find. Because the thing that they're already kind of struggling with as it gets bigger and bigger is, like, discovery, and yeah. and that's okay, but if to me that would be value. If you've got all these millions of users, your brand, like I would think, that would be what you would want to try to like get across.
0: What you always want, and and where the sponsored model works now is: does the sponsored model get you to the valuation that they're that this as a Silicon no, Valley I mean, Mark Andreessen backed startup gets you to? That's the problem with that. That's the whole story of the last 15 years of the internet, right? Like it the is. sponsored model turned Daring Fireball into a really nice business for me. Yeah, But it is not a billion dollar business. No, right. It, uh, and it, 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 never be, be. It, it never will be. It right. never will be. Well, it doesn't
1: scale that way. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, you could, I mean, you look at Spotify and, and you look at, you know, arguably they've kind of done that um, a little bit. I mean, I think you could... Because I just don't think the regular advertising works. Um,
0: no, I don't see in, how it In could. an audio
1: setting, I don't think there's any way that it could work. I mean, you could do subscriptions, but that seems weird too. I don't know. I mean, look, I feel like the valuation is completely absurd, but I also feel like that the valuation is disconnected from reality, you know, it's its its lead investors who are prominent users of the apps who, you know, the other VCs are fighting with. Like, I, I kind of feel like the valuation is what the valuation is, but I don't put a whole lot of stock in that if it makes right. any sense. Because to me, this the bigger question, and this is also why I think that Twitter could be really well poised for this, is that – if this is something that Twitter could do really well, then this is a feature of Twitter that keeps people engaged with Twitter, but doesn't have to be a direct money maker for Twitter because they have their additional ad business and, yeah. and their additional revenue ways to make money.
0: Right. The way my brain works is always, hey, that would be a nice that would be a nice business, and it would be you know money for the creator and money for the company and happy users. And it's a virtuous circle. And that's the way my brain works. And my brain doesn't work with, that's that's a $500 billion company, (laughs) right? like I I don't come up with ideas like that. But my thinking with the sponsorship thing is, hey, let's get a couple of nerds and they'll talk about the new iPhone. And Mm -hmm. it could be sponsored by uh, a company that makes iPhone cases. Yep. And yeah, you know, it's this room is sponsored by was like Spigen or, you know, whoever, mm-hmm. you know, Otterbox or whoever. And they may sell uh, iPhone cases and there it is. And you can, you know, there'd be a thing that you could tap to learn more about their cases, but otherwise and, and whatever they pay, you know, it could go like 80 20 or 90 10 or probably not 70 30. 70 30, I think we all agree is sort of. Right. Exorbitant but you know, eighty ten or, or eighty twenty or ninety-ten to the creator, and then there's ten for clubhouse, and they make money and the creators make money, and you can attract star talent to uh to host these rooms and bring people in, and that's nice. I do think there's probably a market too. Again, is it a multi-billion dollar idea? I don't think so, but I think it could be profitable. I think pro accounts always could be profitable. I always think back to Flickr where, where they Flickr people, when Flickr was a big deal, people paid for Flickr pro so that I did so that they could get the pro badge on their avatar because you looked a little bit like a simp without it.
1: Totally. Totally. And also, you know, give you, you know, unlimited, you know, more, you know, um, uploads or whatever right. and um no i mean there there were good there were good things with that yeah i think that sponsors could work i think that paying creators could work i have a feeling they would probably do the standard creator rate which is usually like 50 50 or something for youtube but who knows um i think the thing that they would need to be careful with on that is that if yeah. you Yeah but you substacks your, 90 10
0: you know like no, it's all I over I, I get you
1: i i guess you I, i'm just i'm just thinking more like yeah. like youtube terms right? right like i'm thinking in those senses and I think the fear with any of these things is like you want to get your high-profile people and you want them to do shows, but you also those people are increasingly looking for like what's the next big platform they can leverage and want to own their own brand and their own thing. So you know you you see people like the big TikTokers all really want to be big YouTubers. is really what it what it comes down to. So my question would be like, can could Clubhouse? Make enough of a monetization play off of its creators, but prevent its creators from going to, you know, YouTube or 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 Twitch or whatever. And maybe yeah. they could, right? Like like Snapchat is paying creators now, and there are some you know creators who are apparently making a lot of money, and and that seems to be working well for Snapchat. So, um, and Snapchat is you know a, a multi billion dollar company. So, and and their model has largely been kind of in in the the, the sponsored. Thing. Although they have, you know, some intermittent ads, I, I don't, you know, know how big of a part of their revenue that is. I feel like they, I think with sponsored rooms, you could probably do well. The, the only problem with that is that's obviously going to, for the biggest brands and the biggest rooms and the biggest things, it's going to emphasize like the most popular and the most populist yeah. types of conversations, uh, which it kind of, again, like, I don't know, it, it sort of shuts down some of the magic, which are some of those more serendipitous things. But maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe those are your big tentpole movies that you need to pay for the rest of the slate. Mm-hmm. And, and you can keep the rest of the business running. Is it a multibillion-dollar business? I don't know. Uh, I think it's a good idea. And I, I think that's why we see everybody else wanting to jump on board to try to copy it.
0: The last interesting thing that they do... And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I'm so glad I just thought of. it. I should, I should have better notes because I almost forgot. But they do a thing where if you go to somebody's profile, you can see who it is who invited that person to Clubhouse, right? Yes, that's what yes. The, they call it. Sponsored by, you know, I guess which maybe they need to change the language at some point. But like, if I got in by being, I got invited from Dave Wiskus. So I think if you go to my profile, you'll see that it'll show you that it, invited by Dave. Yeah. Which I've thought of about for years as a way to grow a social network and Mm -hmm. not have the problems that we've seen with trolls. Yeah. You know? That, you know, we, we they want it to be a big tent. They want it to be inviting. I think clearly they'd like to explode and become a major cultural force. Totally. But if you... It gives accountability. Yeah. That I don't... So I'm thinking they never leave the invite-only thing. I think that they're... That they're, would
1: be smart, actually. Right.
0: They stay invite-only forever, and they just increase the number of invitations to the existing uh, users.
1: Yeah, no, actually I like that idea. And what would be interesting about that? I mean, it reminds me. So, you know, I'm an old and I joined Facebook when it was college only, and it was that same thing. <laughs> like you had to be you had to be invited by another college kid. And this was like 2005 and and um I don't remember, you know, who it was, but somebody was invited, you know, by their school and even how it spread school to school. Like yeah. that's how it happened. And there were a number of us who were non-hyperbolically sane and and I don't think we're wrong. Uh, obviously the business grew and got way bigger and, and that changed. But it, Facebook fundamentally changed when it became available to everyone. Right. And and when you didn't have to have that gatekeeping thing. And it's not so much, and, and it got to the point, like at first it was only select colleges, but then it basically was anything. Like as long as you had an EDU address or you could get someone to invite you, then you could get in. But I do wonder, like if they just increase the number of invites, but you have to find somebody, like obviously there will be people who will be selling invites and that's already happening and, and will invite anybody. But, the fact that you need someone's phone number beyond just their um, email to invite them is, is one thing. The other thing I think, yeah, showing who's invited people on the platform is one thing Is that's a certain way in some respects to hold accountability. If you see that a whole bunch of spam accounts or a whole bunch of yeah. agitators have been have joined by one person, you can kick that person out. Right? You can uh, see the I, tree.
0: You can see the tree of one hundred percent. You know.
1: It, so I, I, maybe I should – screw it. So okay, in the <laughs> torrentine community, uh, like 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 like. Like, music torrent sites, we right. should slugs at private, private torrent trackers. That is how it works, is that if you get an invite from someone, it right. will show who invited you. And if you then have, like, somebody who abuses the system, usually what happens is that the person who invited the abuser gets kicked out. Right. And that is a problem because you want to be able to get those, you know, unreleased, you know, um, copies of, of whatever album you want because—
0: I don't it, think you're you, in trouble for this, Christina.
1: I'll, I mean, I, I don't care. Not, <laughs> I, I, not that I would personally ever download right. anything illegally off the internet. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, but but like I feel like there there is something to be said for that model, uh, yeah. and maybe it does stay invite only forever, and, and that adds to the appeal. That does limit your growth. Which, if you're wanting to be the next Instagram, maybe is a problem, but maybe that is also how you keep up the cachet. Because there's a certain thing now where everybody wants in, which does remind me of Instagram, although Instagram was never invite-only. But it does remind me of, like, you know, those other kind of invite-only services. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think there's power to that.
0: Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, about three minutes ago was the first time, I believe, in my life that I uh, knowingly used the word invite as a noun. I've been on team invitation stubbornly for a while, but uh, Miriam Webster, a friend of mine, Paul Kafasis, pointed out on Slack this week that when I objected to the invite as a noun once again, uh, yeah. Miriam Webster's added a note to their dictionary. Is invite really a noun? Yes, this is from Merriam-Webster. Some people feel strongly that the role of invite should be restricted to that of a verb, but the English language changes and grows according to its own peculiar whims and not those of people who write angry letters to dictionaries. <laughs> the process whereby a word changes is part of speech is called functional shift, and there are tens of thousands of words which have done this. Some of them just bother people more than others. And invite, along with gift and friend, which have changed in the opposite direction is one that attracts considerable opprobrium. So, I have oh, wow. to admit, I love Merriam-Webster's probably my favorite dictionary. I, I so I'm tr- I'm trying to buy into invite as a noun. I'm, I'm
1: okay. I I I can be team invite for a noun as long as and I disagree with Miriam Webster here, irregardless, I don't care. It it's uh. not a word and I refuse. Like that I'm I, I will die. Because it's
0: bigger. On that That's hill. the problem, right? It's a it's it's the, the, the advantage to invite is it's a shorter than an invitation.
1: It is. And and it also I do think you can make the argument it's become a noun because it is this feature, it is this this thing, right? Like it, it has this yeah. secondary meaning. Whereas irregardless is just people who are too stupid to say regardless.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not like ain't where ain't is, uh, like I'm pro ain't because ain't has connotations, you know, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Works in a right. way that if it isn't broke, don't fix it, makes you sound like an asshole, right? Right. I mean, you're like the, you're like the, that's like you're, you're the dean at the college in the, the, you know, Animal House movie, you know, you're, you're totally. You're, you know, you got to use ain't there. Uh, irregardless. Yeah, I'm with you. Never, never use it. Anyway, let me thank our third and final sponsor, Squarespace. Oh, man. Do you need a new website? Go to Squarespace. All in one at Squarespace. Everything from domain name registration to templates to pick from to components. You can add, take away from your site, like adding a blog, adding a portfolio, adding a store that includes all of the e-commerce stuff. Everything looks professional. Everything works, regardless of your skill level. Everything is intuitive. They have great tech support. Squarespace also is the place to send people to when you, the technical sort of person who knows how to build a website on your own, has friends who come to you for help, and they're like, hey, I need a new website. Send them to Squarespace. Get them started on their own. They'll thank you because they can do it on their own and you'll thank me for having reminding you to send them there because then they'll be out of your hair. Uh, it is a great service. It is where I would send anybody and everybody who asks me for help building their own website. You can start a free trial today. You get 30 days. Go to squarespace.com slash talkshow, and using that URL and the code talkshow, when you order, you get 10% off your first order, including up to an entire year. That's squarespace.com slash talkshow. Third and final bonus round, fire round. What do you call it? What do you call the, uh, the quick round? Uh, the,
1: uh, bonus round?
0: Yeah. I don't uh, know. Apple TV. lightning round. Lightning round. round. Lightning round. Yes. round. Apple TV. You, yeah. You said Apple TV. Sorry, Apple TV is where you use Siri and it works. I completely <laughs> agree. I love Siri with Apple TV. I love my favorite feature of, of on Apple TV is hold the microphone and say, what did they just say? And it goes back like 10 seconds, turns subtitles on, replays the 10 seconds with subtitles. And then like just at the right moment, turns the subtitles off again, which it yep. is like an order of magnitude. Less friction than manually rewinding, pulling down, manually turning the subtitles on, getting to the point where you read the subtitles of the thing you couldn't hear, and then manually turning subtitles off again.
1: Yeah, no, I, just, I couldn't agree more. Like, that is that is magic. I also think, like, even the, the way that the human language search stuff does, like, you know, yeah. um, show me this episode with whatever, yeah. or take me to this show— works fantastic in a way that it doesn't work well on any other Apple platform.
0: No, because I I think it's the domain specificity where Siri on Apple TV knows what you're talking about. You're talking about shows and movies. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's really good. But the discussion, Jason Snell wrote a piece this week, why does Apple TV, the hardware box still exist?
1: Still exists. I think it's a great question.
0: I wrote a piece about it, you know, and that's, you know, this is one of the answers people have come up with is, you know, you can talk. To Siri and it works great. Um, but the, uh, bottom line, and and you say this, and I I love Apple TV. This is where I watch most of my TV. But I still I'm, I I protest because I care because mm-hmm. there has to be more of a reason or Apple is going to lose interest in the same way. Like I don't want to see Apple TV go the way Airport went.
1: Right, right. No, I I agree with that. I made a comment after Jason wrote his kind of initial thing, but before your article came out, and I got so much pushback from it, even though I was pretty clear where I was telling people, I was like, look, I love my Apple TV. I have two of them. I use it every day. I'm not telling people who already have an Apple TV not to use one. But at this state, in February you know, 17th, 2021, I cannot in good conscience recommend that any human being spend $180 on an Apple TV. I just can't. Like I, there, there's no way for me to rationally recommend a newcomer today to buy one, and and that makes me really sad. But there's no way I cannot come up with any argument where it is worth 180 dollars. It's not.
0: It's it's unless they renamed it Apple TV Edition. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. That, that's exactly it. And didn't the thing change is, it
0: at all. Didn't change it. You don't have to go. Didn't change
1: anything. You just call it the addition. And that would be it. Because the thing is, is that does it have a better user experience than most of the other boxes? Yes. Does it have the niceties like the Siri thing? Yes. Does it have arguably a better privacy thing? Mm, kind of. Uh, the one area I'll push back is that, look uh, – Apple might not be spying on every move you make, but, like, every single one of those apps you use is absolutely getting usage information. So do not be under the assumption that you are not being tracked because, of course, you are. Uh, But do those things add up? Because I even said this to someone. People are like, oh, it's so much better for this and that. I was like, is it $150 better? Because a 4K Fire TV stick, which... Um, might not have the Dolby stuff, but a lot of people's TVs don't have Dolby either. So it still does HDR. It just doesn't do the Dolby Altma, Altma stuff. has an Apple TV app on it so you can watch your purchases and you can watch the, the original programming. $30. bucks; it has got access to all the services. It, I, I can't come up with an argument that says this is $150 better. I just can't.
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is it does seem... If, if it goes away, right? Like if, if Apple TV just slowly fodes, fades away and they never come out with a new version of the box and, a, you know, a, two years from now, they just stop selling it. We'll all look back at it and say, yeah, I guess of course they were drifting away from it. That's why they added TV, the Apple TV app to the TV right. sets and to all these other boxes. Of course. Yeah. We'll look back and say, yeah, of course that's what they were doing. Cause that's what it kind of looks like. It kind of looks mm-hmm. like Apple is cannibalizing. Their own TV box sales, yeah. By saying we'll we'll just be a pure software service, we'll just be
1: a pure software play. Yeah. yeah. At first, I thought that it was just um, a growth play for TV Plus. I was like, okay, they know that they can't have mass adoption if this isn't on Roku, if it, it isn't on Fire TV, if it isn't on TVs, because if you really want to compete with like the Disney Pluses and the Netflixes of the world, or which they can't. But but let's say you want to compete with the Peacocks, you know, and HBO Maxes of the world, then you need to be on all of these devices. So at first, that was my thought. Because they did a similar thing with, with Apple Music, right? Like, Apple Music is available on Android. But when they added AirPlay
2: mm-hmm. to
1: the LG TVs, and when they started adding that to more devices, that's when you go, okay. Because AirPlay had always been their specific standard. You have to buy an Apple product to get AirPlay. And it's one of those magical things. And and Miracast and, and the other, you know, DLNA or MLNA, whatever things just have never worked the same way. So when they started doing that, that was when, plus the fact that, you know, it's, it's now three and a half years old hardware wise makes me go, Hmm. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Because your price is completely like, it's not even in the same realm of like reality. Like you could cut it in half and it would still be overpriced, but you would have to literally like, if you, if you lower the price to hundred dollars, it would still be more expensive than the competition, but you could maybe start to make a like kind of a high-end argument, but it would be hard. But that would be with cutting $100 off the price. Like it's it's an insanely – it's insanely priced right now. And I love the Apple TV. I would never tell anyone to buy one right now ever because, I, you know, you can get a TV with Apple TV built into it for not much more than an Apple TV.
0: The only thing – and I, this is what I mentioned was that, you know – the only sign in the last year or two, or at least since their initiative to put their TV app on other companies' TVs and set-top boxes that makes you think they have any commitment to to their own platform, is Apple Arcade. Yeah. Which yeah. is, well, it but it's a mixed bag. So on the one hand, every single Apple Arcade game is it's a mandatory part of being an Apple arcade game is you need to be on all of the platforms. You have to have an Apple TV app, which is a big commitment because there's an awful lot of games that the hardest platform to support is Apple TV because it's it's a weak GPU. Mm -hmm. It pushes 4K, right? Like you can't. I I believe and uh, with uh, I believe that like you if you have like a, a performance sensitive game you can't push 180 out of Apple they they if you if you're playing on a 4K Apple 4K to a 4K TV you need to push 4K but you have to also get 30 frames per second at all times and it's hard for some games no fans. that is
1: hard I mean look the the next gen consoles the PS5 the Xbox Series X They don't do that. Like they're optimized. Like they will go down to 1080p or 1440p. Like they don't do 4K at all times because it makes no sense to do that.
0: And the games, if they're phone or iPad first, they're designed for touch. You're not playing with touch. You're playing with the thing. And you've got the worst controller of all time. The The worst. And again, let's just skip. Because we're in the bonus round. We're in the lightning round. Let's not even talk about the Apple TV remote as a remote for watching TV, like video. As a game controller- As a
1: gaming controller, it is bad.
0: (laughs) It's like one of those jokes, that, like the joke, like uh, the guy dies and goes to hell. And and the first thing he sees is there's just a complete replica, blade of grass, tree for tree of Augusta National Golf Course. And he says to the devil, my God, I love golf. This is unbelievable. And he says, here you go. And there's a brand new set of- of ping golf clubs. And he goes, this is fantastic. I thought this was hell. And he goes, oh yeah, there's no golf balls. <sighs> You know it that's like the Apple t v remote it is like, oh yeah, here's this thing that can play games, and you know you have Apple Arcade, so you get all the games quote unquote for right. free, and here's your controller
1: here you go here's your controller, here's your controller that makes using one joy con right. on the Nintendo switch seem like using one like seem like a revelation it's, I it's, mean it's
0: like trying to play basketball with a wadded up newspaper is the ball. <laughs> it's very strange, but they do, but they've they've made all of these participants in Apple Arcade make the arcade games, which makes me think there's maybe a commitment or I don't, I know. don't
1: know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I mean, I don't know because a, I don't know if Apple Arcade is that successful. Uh, I, I, I'm not working on that assumption. Uh, I feel like people maybe are part of it because they feel like they want to be in the good graces of Apple, but you know, I get it as part of Apple one. Um, Cause I, I pay for the, the $35 or, or whatever the, the most expensive plan is so I, I get it I don't use it and I play games um so I don't know M- maybe it is something there but I, I wouldn't use that as a sign that shows that they're that deeply committed to it uh, because this is Apple they right. have I don't think they have any problem throwing their Apple TV developers under the bus and being like yep we're getting rid of this and thanks for optimizing your game to to work with our shitty controller right. like I, I don't think that that would be bother them at all
0: they're they're not good at breaking up with their products they just sort of ghost them right like yeah they ne- that's so true right they just they that's sort of what they did with airport right it's it,
1: totally what they did with airport uh, yeah they totally just ghosted it until one day they were like yeah we're not going to do this anymore yeah. you know
0: And I, I, so I feel like there's three options, either one, they're ghosting it and there's never going to be another Apple TV box. And at some point they'll just say, oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Don't you have a TV that has Apple TV? Yeah, they'll just stop
1: selling it like they did with the iPods. They'll just quietly remove it from sale.
0: B, they do have some sort of plan and it has to be this year, right? I don't know. I'm not saying it's like next month, but it's like, it has to be a 2021 thing because the 4K one is so outdated and so expensive. Yeah. And they come out with a new thing and it's powerful and it, maybe it has a game controller or something or some sort of story and and there's something about it that is like different than just Apple 4K with an A14 instead maybe
1: it's A12. $120 instead of 180, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I don't something or see they come out with a new one that is just the same thing, but a new chip, which I, to me is the least likely because it, it just makes no sense. And it also is expensive. They just come out with another $180 box that seems exorbitantly expensive and doesn't do anything else. And this is right. just it. And for some reason, Apple thinks this is compelling. It, it's a very strange product.
1: It is. And what's, what's frustrating to me, and then we move on, there are lightning round is that with the third generation, before the fourth gen came out, they'd finally gotten that to be fairly inexpensive. And you did have mass adoption because that was before, that was back when the the Chromecast was pretty bad. And when you didn't have, you know, uh, the sticks and you didn't have like the, the, the sub $50, very good, very competitive streamers. And also you didn't have everything built into every TV. Right. Um, so they were doing really well with the third gen TV and then they, they, Double the price essentially when the fourth gen came out, right? And and they, but they didn't, they didn't continue to keep up, and and like the trends, like even, even if I think it's a superior experience, and I do, I've used all the other ones, and I can't like people because people ask me for advice, what thing to buy, I can't in good conscience tell somebody to spend. on an Apple TV. I just can't. Like, there's no way. It'd be like telling somebody to buy a HomePod. HomePod (laughs) Mini, sure. A HomePod, hell no. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Under no circumstances would I recommend that to someone. Like, and, and I feel like anybody who's willingly buying one needs to buy one with the understanding that you are overpaying by a massive margin and you are doing it for whatever reasons you have.
0: Yeah, I guess the other thing they could do, option D, would be to not change the hardware at all, but just cut the price in half.
1: If they did that, that would that would nine, help them.
0: Ninety nine bucks.
1: Ninety nine bucks would make it. It still wouldn't be competitive, but it would be so much better, right?
0: But then it's within the realm of the Apple tax, exactly, right?
1: Exactly. At that point, you could then go against the Roku Premium, uh, Premier, or whatever. Like, right. which is still a better product, like spec-wise. But you you could make that argument. Right now, the thing that makes it untenable for me is is similar to when the HomePod first came out, where it's like it costs so much money compared to everything else that's out there. That is just you know. What I hope they do is they do what they did with HomePod Mini. I would really like to see them do mm-hmm. a redesigned option that is more modern and that is lower priced. Maybe drop some of the features if you need to, although yeah. I don't think you should because at this point the chip and the tech is so old. Right. But like like if it were me, you know, yeah, like I, I would I would, you know, maybe require you to get a secondary controller to play a game. Right, like that could be a way to, to make money. Like you have to buy a controller. The remote doesn't work as a game controller anymore. I don't know. Like, but but cut it down, make it less expensive, and do what they did with HomePod Mini is the only way I could see it being salvageable, in my opinion. Otherwise, it's it's just kind of this product they sell that is a mystery to me.
0: And it remains a product in our lineup.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, there, thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Lightning round over. Show over. Christina Warren. Thank you for being here. People can follow you on Twitter. Your film underscore girl, but they could just that search. Just search for Christina Warren on Twitter. Uh, you want to give your your Clubhouse name?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm Christina on Clubhouse. I think.
0: Yeah, you are. You are just Christina. <laughs> Yes. Uh, uh,
1: so th- this is a sign that I've been an early adopter or something if I just get my first name on it. Um, so that's that's awesome. And um, I do a podcast uh, called uh, Rocket that I'm late for right now. Uh, I'm Relay so FM.
0: sorry. You're completely <laughs> but fine. Let's, let's Re- tell everybody to listen. Let's, we'll make it even. Yes. <laughs> it's a good podcast. Everyone's,
1: it's a great podcast. So if you want to listen to me be slightly late for uh, for, for Rocket, it's at RelayFM, uh, dot com slash rocket. <laughs> Um, I do with Brianna Blue and Simone De Broche for it's a great time. So.
0: And uh do you have another podcast Overtired with Brett Terpstra? I do. Uh,
1: yes, I do. Thank you. I do but, Overtired with Brett Terpstra.
0: Yeah. But Rockets the one we really want to we really want to promote because I'm the one who made you late. So my thanks. <laughs> my best yeah. Brianna and Simone <laughs> tell them I said hi.